everyone, and welcome to the Rewatchman, where we don't review movies. We don't just re-review movies; we re-review them. You take a movie you haven't seen in a long time, maybe quite a few years. You have a very strong opinion about, but hey, you haven't seen it in a while. Time to reevaluate. Is it as good as you remember? Is it bad? Is it better? Who knows? We know, because that's what we do. Here. We know everything, TC. True. And that intro will never be easy. <laughs> We've been doing this for 127 episodes. It'll get better on the 128th. <laughs> uh, I am TC DeWitt. With me is my co-host, Benjamin Toe. How you doing, Ben? Holla. Today, we are looking at V for Vendetta, starring Natalie Portman and Hugo Weaving and John Hurt, written by the Wachowskis. The brothers at the time. Now they're the sisters. They are. Uh, produced by Joel Silver, the Wachowskis, and directed by James McTeague. Who never gets credit for this movie. I know, I know. <laughs> <laughs> never. <laughs> um, and it was his directorial debut. It was. Yes. yes, he spent most of his career as uh, the Wachowskis' first AD. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, 2006, this came out. Yeah, it's 10 years. Is, uh, yes. It's coming up. Or actually, it is. It yeah. passed already. Yeah. Uh, well, yeah. Because it was released in spring, right, 2006. Instead of, you know, November, which yeah. is the... <laughs> <laughs> oh, wait. Or was it released in November? No, because the uh, Matrix Revolutions came out November uh, 5th, yeah. 2005. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then this came out okay. the following summer. So this is really appropriate since it's almost November 5th, yes. and we're on its 10th year anniversary since its release. Yes. Very and impressive timing, TC. I, you would think we did it on purpose. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so I will I will be what what we will do mm-hmm. here if you're new to the series is we are going to analyze the film uh, we are going to discuss it uh, as critically as possible uh, we are going completely spoilery here so if you haven't seen the movie highly or maybe don't highly recommend it but I at least recommend you watching it um, if you are worried about spoilers um, I can't say I highly recommend it though that may have been a spoiler that I just <laughs> oh anyway it was a dream within a dream <laughs> uh, and after we're done with that we will hit up some news and some current events but. This is about the, this is about uh, movies, and that's uh, that's what we're gonna do. Away right. we go. Ben, when was the last time you saw this movie? So I own this film on DVD. That's one of the last DVDs I bought. I have, I have the <laughs> DVD right here. You as well. As well. Um, I remember it very fondly. Actually, I I watched it when it first came out. The first week it came out, I was really excited because that was like this was ushering a new era of comic book adaptations, mm-hmm. which. Growing up, I love reading comic books, but I never saw like it was that time where we were arguing: is there ever going to be a good comic book film? Yeah, because we yeah. Had, we had existed in a Batman and Robin universe, yeah. a, a Batman Forever universe, yes, a Superman three and four universe. <laughs> we did not have what we have now. It was a dark and desolate time. That to be fair, Blade had come out. Mm-hmm. Blade had come and gone. Out. Blade one and two. Batman Begins had come out. This is. This is a post-Matrix, post-Batman Begins, um, Spider-Man, and X-Men. Like, it yeah. was just the beginning of the era of comic book movies that we mm-hmm. have existed in for 10 years now. Yes. <laughs> 10 plus years. But, you know, we'll get to that, f- <laughs> we'll get to that fatigue eventually. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but I remember being really blown away because this was probably the most adult fare in terms of comic book adaptation that I got a chance to watch around that time. And Certainly, I was, yeah. I was a I was a junior. No, I was a sophomore in high school when this came out. Mm-hmm. So you know, me, I was just my tastes were evolving, and it was developing. just developing at the yeah. time. And I was really appreciative of it. 
And I got to say, I've seen it only one more time since then. It was probably later that year when I bought the DVD. Okay. Okay, cool. Yeah. So it's, it's been a good number of years since you've seen it. Yes, that's my long-winded answer. <laughs> <laughs> which, which is fine. I, this is something that I've watched uh, at least ten times. I've seen this movie. I, I would attempt to watch it every year on the 5th, mm-hmm. um, maybe not ten years in a row, uh, because I don't think I watched it on the 5th last year. But, uh, Not true fan. I think it was like a week or so earlier. Yeah, <laughs> I got ahead of the game. Um, but uh, I've it's it, this also came out while I was in the midst of getting my finishing up my English degree. Mm. I had taken a graphic novel course where we we discussed we an, we discussed and analyzed graphic novels as much more than just the funny books. It's yeah. not just guys in tights. Yes, this is a comic book movie, but it's not. A superhero comic book movie. Mm. It's in the same vein as something like Road to Perdition or A History of Violence, which I don't think people realize are comic books. Mm-hmm. And oh man, I, I I could appreciate. I like Alan Moore's book, but I like the movie so much more. As, as it's just it, the book is the the comic book has is dated in mm. a fashion. Um, no offense to the artwork. But the artwork, especially the coloring aspect of it, is still very monochromatic, very, very dull color. So, like, aesthetically, it's not as interesting as some more modern It's a hard comics. read. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but the the ideas of the movie are much clearer. Sometimes it's a little more black and white, which mm-hmm. I know is kind of not what Alan Moore was going for. Because yeah. the book itself is meant to be a little more ambiguous in who's good, who's evil. Like, no one is just... It's not a black and white world. Yeah. Um, but in a post-9-11 world, <laughs> um, this is the kind of movie we we needed. Hmm. And it's not an American film. It is an American film, but it's a, it takes place in London. It's about a revolution in the year 2020 in a post-apocalyptic, a big brother is watching world. Yes. And coming off the... the uh, in the midst of the Bush administration. Yeah, you uh, see a lot of direct... Um, commentary and criticism mm-hmm. of what transpired through that administration, like Guantanamo and the Patriot Act, and yep. just um, the, the ethics and morality of surveying and taking matters into your own hands, having too much power as a government. Yeah, the, there's a couple lines in the movie itself that were so poignant and still poignant now. The government should fear its people. The people should not fear the government. The government should fear its people. Mm. Uh, we are we as Americans are built upon a nation by the people for the people, right? And we lose sight of that sometimes. That the people hold the power. It's not the figurehead of the presidency. It's not the Senate and the House of Republicans. We put them in that position. Mm. They should fear us. Mm. That is why politicians spend like more than half their careers just vying to be revote, like voted back into office mm. to extend their terms. Because the people control the power. Yes, um, you can say, you know, voting is one of the more most important things we do as as Americans. It's one of the more important things, but then it's a debate of uh, what if you don't want to? Is mm. you have the right not to? Like it's it's the question of control of the government, the control of the people. Another one of the lines from the movie that always jumped out as me out at me is, you can destroy if a building falls. If you destroy a building, I'm sorry, I'm paraphrasing because I'm not remembering the line correctly, but you can destroy a building and that can hurt the people. Mm. You can hurt an idea by destroying a structure that represents the idea. And 
duh. <laughs> that, that, that not duh, and that, that's an obvious statement, but it's so on the nose for September 11th and yes. destroying the World Trade Center. Um, but uh, what, what's, what are your feelings about this movie now, coming back to it all these years later? Mm-hmm. Like, Again, this is this is part of our trilogy of politically motivated films mm-hmm. coming from Idiocracy to Election and now V for Vendetta here. <laughs> um, clearly, this has parallels to what's going on right now. Absolutely. Even 10 years later, it still feels extremely topical and fresh. Uh, it, it just goes to show that, you know, uh, we, we've had... We've had uh, a good number of years under President Barack Obama. Some would, some yeah. would disagree, Ben. Some, some would disagree, but I, I don't think you can get any worse than what transpired after 9-11. <laughs> <laughs> Agree or disagree, but my eyes don't deceive me. Um, but <laughs> but I, I think this would be a great watch for anyone who wants to be – who's still undecided and wants to be forewarned about what could potentially happen again if we were to uh, elect a certain person. So, well, um, well, I will, I, I see what you're saying. Yeah. You're, you're hinting at a kind of regime we would be under if Trump was put in office, but the same thing could be said about Hillary putting in office. And I'm, I'm certainly not, I'm just being devil's advocate yeah. here in that. I, it's, it's not just about putting Trump or Hillary Clinton in office. It's, it's their cabinet. Mm. It's the senators and congressmen that support them. Yeah. And the people that then support those congressmen and senators and the president—it's—it's it's a trickle down here, and putting putting the wrong per, the wrong person in power for the wrong reasons can give us something like V for Vendetta or Orwell's 1984. It's the the too much like the corrupted governments. Yeah. And yes, you're right. This is a perfect film for someone who. Who might not be, maybe not even an undecided voter, but someone who needs to be reinvigorated about the power of the people to the government. Yeah, or at least being being okay with the political process yeah. and being okay with critiquing it and mm-hmm. openly critiquing it. Because um, there's too many there's too many times where we're either afraid to talk about it or mm-hmm. we're just so disillusioned and disenfranchised <laughs> with the process itself that we we just become a passive bystander mm-hmm. when like you're right there is so much power in being an individual in this country that i think sometimes it can be easily taken for granted um especially when there's all of these ridiculous talks about how the system's rigged or the system's set up in a way where we lose and so on and so forth mm-hmm. where it's it's imperfect but it's up to us to keep chiseling away at this marble stone to make it perfect you to know? form a more perfect union absolutely yeah like <laughs> like our forefathers said but um um someone I, I forgot who told me this but someone once said that you know we may never achieve absolute justice but that does not mean we should stop striving for it yeah wow yeah <laughs> and i i don't i can't think of a better way to just to, to kind of encompass my feelings of watching this movie mm-hmm. and and not think of that quote because um I, I think that's what v kind of stands for too not not in a black and white sort of way but in a way where he, he is a man of principle and integrity and it's more than just fighting for what he believes in but fighting for uh the big idea mm-hmm. that we should be free people and and we should not be suppressed 
by an entity like the government. Yeah. yeah. Well, uh, let's let's unpackage the film here. So, mm-hmm. I mean, the whole film opens up with remember, remember the fifth of November, the gunpowder treason and plots. Mm-hmm. I see no reason why the gunpowder treason should ever be forgot. Woo! Now, this is this is an actual annual event, an annual. I don't know if celebration is the right word for it, but it is a it is a an annual holiday in London in in England mm-hmm. about the gunpowder treason. This is uh, Guy Fox is one of a group of people who di- who tried to tried to overthrow King James. Mm-hmm. Uh, King James was ruling the country under very strict Catholic religious beliefs and Guy Fox being a number of the of this group of mutineers who tried to blow up and send a message to the government. Yeah. To allow more religious freedom, mm. and and essentially the message behind the gun, uh, behind Guy Fox and his and his ilk, they were trying to say the government is too restrictive to the people in our religious beliefs. And now, the movie itself—that's how it opens. It tells you that it tells you that plot, mm. but in particular, it says who was Guy Fox. We know who the man was. We, we know what his. We don't. We know his face because they make the mask. V wears the Guy Fox mask, <clears throat> but he was more than just a man. He represents an idea, mm. and the idea of the people should be feared, mm. and the government should not control in a totalitarian society. Yes, there needs to be. Um, justice mm. and what V represents uh, V in the film is out for revenge. He is a he is a a patient of a a hospital that did tests on and and mutilated people. Yeah. And, and Could even call it a concentration camp. Yeah, yeah. it's very very much uh, presented in a concentration camp style mm. in the film. Uh, he blows the place up and escapes and enacts his revenge on the people who are responsible for turning him into a monster. Mm. But in so doing that and seeking out his revenge and who these people are to him, he's also attacking what they represent to the world at large. Mm. And his revenge plot in the film is more than just personal revenge. It's a personal vendetta. Yeah. (laughs) Is is to show that all people should not be oppressed by those who are in control. Mm. It's it's very powerful. And and though – more uh more analytical minded uh, more i guess more snobby uh literary folks mm. people i know i went to school with who disrespect who did not like this film call it watered down mm. they say this is this is such a cliffs notes version of the ideas of the film mm. or uh, the ideas of the book yeah and i say good because it's not i don't think it's dumbed down to the lowest common denominator mm. it certainly isn't base storytelling like yeah. idi- like idiocracy kind of is <laughs> this explores some very poignant at the time and still poignant to this day themes mm-hmm. and v as a hero as an anarchist and and a freedom fighter revolutionary a revolutionary yeah one man's freedom fighter is another man's terrorist and vice versa is something i heard too no oh, certainly yeah. yeah and and v is a terrorist mm-hmm. in some perspective in one one perspective of things he mm. is a terrorist he is attacking government officials he mm. is blowing up government facilities which conjures up such a fascinating discussion because um i see shades of robin hood and zorro and all these other really um uh, well-known literary figures mm-hmm. 
literary um, vigilantes. Literary literary vigilantes who could also be interpreted, depending on your stance, as freedom fighters or terrorists. Mm-hmm. Um, which kind of conjures up the, conjures up this moral question of like, should we be valuing, say, st- things like property over bodies, mm-hmm. you know, like human lives? And I think that's something really fascinating that they explore in this one and this movie as well. Mm-hmm. Um, not as in depth, I'm sure, as the book, but do it differently. It, the book, as you know, mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> it explores things uh, in in from different angles. Yes, and the film took a lot of liberties mm-hmm. from the book, but the the ideas are still strong. Mm-hmm. The, though V in the book is much more about anarchy. And just destroy everything. Mm. And, and anarchists are destroyers and creators. They mm. destroy the system to create from the ashes. Yeah. And V in the movie, he is out enacting his revenge. The mm. Count of Monte Cristo plays a part in the film. There's a reoccurrence of the Count of Monte Cristo, which is about a man who is sent to prison mm. wrongly. He escapes and is and enacts his revenge on those who put him there. Go find your own tree. <laughs> <laughs> and the the hubris of a character doing that and and how blind they can become to their singular goals yeah. will affect the people around them. Mm. Now, the other main character of V for Vendetta is Evie. Yes. Played by Natalie Portman. And she is the audience avatar. Mm-hmm. She is along for the ride to ask the questions and experience this year of V's anarchy and and what he does as a symbol of the people, as a symbol of liberty mm-hmm. through terror. <laughs> uh, and you know, how, how do you feel about Nelly and Evie as a character? Like, How do you feel about her character in this film? Um, I'm trying to remember how she was in the book just to do like a little comparison so, yeah in, in um, the book she's she's a, a she's a child prostitute and she's yeah. brought on her v's wing mm. to be be kind of uh romanced into following him as yeah being the next v that's fine stockholm syndrome yeah um the, the movie explores her as a much stronger person i mm. think uh, but i know i offered it up to you today oh yeah sure thing <laughs> um she i don't know i i I don't know if it was the performance or if it was how she was written, but I think her sole purpose was to serve as her avatar and kind of help us navigate through this very complex story. Mm-hmm. Um, but she herself was not very interesting. Um, just from watching again after all these years, I know Natalie Portman's a very capable actor. She's got a damn Oscar for God's sakes, <laughs> but, um, Something about it felt really one note and really like because maybe the problem was she started off as already a sure-headed person, mm-hmm. a person who knew who she was, already had a purpose in her life, and Co was thrown into this wild ride that became V's adventure. Yeah. But um, I remember being in the book that she was an insecure child prostitute and so on and so forth, mm-hmm. and however problematic that may be, um, she actually had a transformation. Like they they do so in this film and a lot and more like I don't know how you want to say it like um, it's more heavy handed like the whole you, you gotta face your fear in order to conquer and blah 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 and that's like kind of like very rose color like I, I guess representative of this film and how they portrayed V in this film uh, is very romanticized mm-hmm. which is nothing wrong with it I think as as a film itself it's fabulous yeah um, 
I really like that because we were just watching a criticism on the differences. Mm-hmm. And I like that this is kind of like an optimistic, rosy view, view of the same ideas of what Alan Moore conjured up in his book. Because his book is very um, pessimistic and nihilist and dark and, grim. And, and ambiguous, like you said. But it's all from – they were all – all these interpretations were conjured from the same idea, mm-hmm. which is really cool. Because, like, now we have two separate entities of one idea that we can have serve as both um, – both sides of whatever you want to view this idea. Yeah, having the the optimism versus the pe- the pessimism. The, yeah, the the different. On another way to say that is that the book presents a very a very real world exploration in many respects of the the grays in everything. Yeah, where, even literally. Yeah, <laughs> the the movie offers up. It's more you know in a in a sense. And I don't mean this in a bad way. A little more propaganda. Okay, that the end of this movie. Is so in, in patriotically invigorating. Hmm. It, it it it's like a sports movie in that. <laughs> okay. It, yeah. It, yeah. It, no. No. I totally agree. I it, totally agree. It pumps you up. It, it's like yes, yes. You know, a person, an idea can make a difference. Yeah. So we had discussed this in our election uh, in some of our other discussions about the election this year. That no, a single person can't make a difference, but a, a people can make a difference, hmm. and it starts with one voice. Yeah. And V for Vendetta leaves you with that thrill of, yes, the the people can make a difference. The underdog can make a difference. And that can work to both sides mm. of even this current election. You know, I think someone who's more of a Democrat liberal can watch this and feel motivated. Like, yes, take down, you know, we, we, we must do something as people. And then the reverse of it. Can feel it too. I think Republican and conservative, like yes, we need to tear down the, especially Trump representing this anti-establishment yeah. candidate. I can see how this movie could succeed in both those both those respects. Is Donald V? <laughs> Shut up! <laughs> Leap across this table. I, I would love to have someone do that video essay. No, yeah. no. TC, TC. <laughs> I, well, like V, I'm sorry. <laughs> okay, I, I, I totally just threw him off. <laughs> <laughs> I like to view this. Okay, so as a whole, it is very pretty straightforward, pretty pretty black and white. Get from A to Z by doing uh, M. <laughs> um, but what I really appreciated about this film was all the mini movies that were contained within the larger film, mm. if that makes any sense. Yes, like, like f- for example, the ex- exploration of of the woman who wrote the letters. Oh, my God, that was that moved me so much, TC. And So those who may not remember, there's a point in this film where Evie is receiving letters through a crack in the wall mm. written on, on toilet paper yeah. about a woman, a gay woman. When she was imprisoned yeah. by who we later found was V. Yeah. <laughs> and and she's experiencing what V experienced. Yes. Um, he was given those letters, and mm. he carries them with him to this day to remember why he's doing what he's doing, mm. which is to fight for, uh, in, in the society of, of this version of the future, people were rounded up for not being white, mm. straight. They, they were, so this homosexual woman who was in love with another woman is captured and dehumanized and eventually killed yes. for being who she is. Mm. And that mini movie, as you say, is is incredibly powerful. Yeah. And it also goes to your saying, uh, what you're saying earlier about Natalie Portman is just sort of, she's there as the 
the audience anal- a- a- audience avatar and experiences experiences them on uh, <laughs> okay forget it um mini movies i lost my train <laughs> no worries um so mini movies i really appreciate all the little segments and little vignettes within the big overall scheme of the movie um particularly that of valley pa- valerie page's story which were, which you were mentioning um that old and not even old time it was 2015 that yeah. they mentioned which is pretty cool because it's very recent yeah <laughs> uh but she was an actress um got kicked over her house because she came out to her very conservative parents that she was gay and they were not okay with that so she ran away with her girlfriend mm-hmm. and um, her girlfriend gets interned as well, and then sooner or later she is imprisoned for homosexuality as well. And I remember watching that in 2006 and, like, having no exposure to anyone of the LGBTQ plus community. Or or just an, another great quote from somebody I know. Um, they said, we all know someone that's gay. They just might not trust you enough. To let you know wow <laughs> and that's so <laughs> heartbreaking you know and and it's just it, i just remember having like a bad experience watching that movie the second time because i was watching with two friends that i'm not really proud to call friends anymore <laughs> oh no were they okay they were just like so disgusted by that segment the entire time just like making making like a mockery of it you know which oh, which was terrible. so it, it's such a beautiful story right it's, it's so sad and it, it, it's such like it really does like these great social films really does hold a mirror up to us tc like you always say so uh so greatly and eloquently because um as they were cheering on you know this this anarchist who's doing um all these actions to bring equality for all free the people yeah but and, and they're 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 basically dehumanizing a person for their differences. They were they were yeah. doing precisely what. Yeah, they're reflecting the villains rather than V himself, yeah. who is not, neither villain or hero, but he's obviously not a tyrannist. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and and so like watching it a second time, like just recently when I was rewatching this, it's it's so incredibly moving to know how progressive that segment was in 2006, particularly. Uh, and and we know knowing now that the Wachowskis have both have both um, they're both transgender mm. they've both um, transitioned to female. Uh, going back ten years ago and feeling that way, I yeah. can only imagine how much stronger they feel about it now that, yeah. that they were able to to have a movie with that message. Yeah, be able to write that into a script. They should feel really proud because as I watched it, there was nothing about it where I felt like. A non, a straight person wrote it. Like yeah. it, it felt extremely honest, TC, mm-hmm. and so I, I don't know. Like I don't, I don't ever view a love story as a universal love story, but you can pick out little pieces where this is relatable. Yeah, and I could relate to it really hard. And it's just, it, it was beautifully crafted, and beautifully done, and um, I don't know. That'd be a great feature length. In general, to to hear that story, yeah, <laughs> it's it's even more poignant. It's even more poignant now in the LGBT community as they've been fighting harder and harder for their civil rights uh, to exist in a world now where there's marriage equality, mm-hmm. but then having candidates who want to overthrow marriage equality, yeah, to to be arguing about where people go to the bathroom, mm-hmm. to 
be putting so much uh, stack in what the Bible says versus what the government says. Yeah. And in fighting for those beliefs versus people's rights. Mm. It's so poignant now. Yeah. And, and that, that part of the movie has hit. I mean, this, there's so much of this movie that still holds up even a decade later. Um, there's, there's not many movies that can do that, yeah. especially movies that have social commentary. It's, it's the, it's the great movies, or at least the relatively good movies that are are motivated from a good place, that stand the test of time. You can look at something like this. You can look at 1984. You can look at um, Equilibrium. Yeah. Now, um, obviously, we're not at the recommendation point again, but I, I will say there is a lot of similarities between. I mean, hell, John Hurt played Big Brother in, yeah. <laughs> in 1984, and he's playing Big Brother in this. Mm. He's got a type. He's yeah. <laughs> we want a big brother type. <laughs> yeah. Who can we get? Well, let's get the actual big brother. <laughs> but um, uh, he's uh, where else? There, oh, um, Stephen Fry's character playing this late night satirical Tonight Show t- style host mm-hmm. who is closeted gay. Yes, and is who gets who is who is uh, uh, inspired by V mm-hmm. and and what he's doing in changing the the city and the world around him to cross the line to do what a, what late night show hosts and satirical comedians are supposed to do which is mock the government yeah we we need to have the court gestures mm-hmm. pointing out that the king's not wearing any clothes <laughs> we we need that and then he he pays the price for that yeah. he, he doesn't in the end he doesn't pay the price for being gay which in this movie is against the law. Yeah, he pays the price for standing up and saying what needs to be said. Yeah, and and that's that's pretty incredible. He's a, he's a very even ten years out removed. He's, mm-hmm. He he feels like a John Stewart. He feels yeah. like a Stephen Colbert or uh, even what Seth Meyers has been doing in, with his show now through the course of this uh, John Oliver uh, this this election John Oliver um, Samantha B. These late night show hosts are are helping shine a light on the ridiculousness of not just the, the election, but also the ridiculousness of how the election is reported on mm. the 24 hour news networks, yeah. <laughs> which is the other side of the coin where you have, and his name's going to escape me, but it's the voice of London. Uh, PR something. Prodigo. <laughs> yes. But Pro- he's, ah. <laughs> he's such a, a Bill O'Reilly, um, Rush Limbaugh. Yeah. Just this bag of wind. <laughs> <laughs> his, his first monologue really set the tone for this world of, Media manipulation and media godlessness. Uh, godlessness. Terrorists. I, I saw it. I saw godlessness. Immigrants. Muslims. Muslims. It was. It was really eerie, TC, because uh, yeah, <laughs> it was so real. <laughs> How similar does that sound? To yeah, freaking Donald Trump and his supporters to yeah to have this venom in mm-hmm. talking about other people and other beliefs that we've never experienced uh, except for afar, and which is skewed man- manipulated in a way where you know you you don't see the truth or the earnestness of the human experience it's mostly just caricatures or um or fear-based mm-hmm. it's completely fear-based and man i, I love art man because we, we're <laughs> able to see it's i mean we're able to see it because i mean you and i that's that's basically all we did in school was study it but we we learned analysis we yeah learned how to deconstruct things 
but much to my chagrin sometimes. <laughs> no, never. An apple's an apple sometimes. <laughs> but it is frustrating to to have conversations with folks who view that view honestly, like, you know, Muslim people are terrorists or whatnot. And and champion this film. Mm-hmm. I'm just like it's it's like the popular mean girl. Loving Mean Girls, even though Mean Girls is satirizing their <laughs> it's, lives. It's about you, you know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so it, it doesn't make sense sometimes, but I, I'm happy that, or I'm, I'm really joyed that this movie was so brave. And I, I know it took, obviously, a lot of liberties uh, from Mr. Moore's ideas, but mm-hmm. but to see this on a mainstream scale, I, I don't remember the last movie that had this much integrity and, and bravery to to be tackling these political ideas so head on, you know. Well, this is science fiction. Yeah, and and I've said time again. You mentioned it earlier. The best science fiction tricks you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it show, it holds up a mirror without you realizing it. Yeah, and allows you to explore ideas without. It, yes, if when you really take a look at this movie, it's super heavy handed. Mm. The messages are very obvious. Just telegraphed. Yeah, <laughs> and but at the same time, because of the flash of. The people who brought you the Matrix, yeah. the the um, the performances being caricaturized, mm-hmm. the presentation of this film is easy to uh, be be um, be. <laughs> sorry, blah, 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 what's wrong with this? <laughs> it's digestible. <laughs> it's very uh, accessible to the masses. There you go. Thank you, um, and, and and tricking them into witnessing some of these things. Yeah, I love knife fights. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but you know what? Let's let's take a moment to discuss the filmmaking aspect. This was James McTeague's directorial debut, mm-hmm. and certainly he had learned a lot from The Matrix. Yes. But though this movie does have stylistic choices in the knife fights, the the slow mo of the knives being thrown, there's a un- there's something unique about the film. I'm actually really impressed with the choices he made. And how they portrayed the media, because mm-hmm. there's a lot of montages that includes clips of uh, of, of media coverage, like, like from the news media, and the yeah. and it's and they all sh- they shot that all from scratch too. So it's really, I thought it was really, um, it's impressive. It's too. impressive without being super ham fisted, mm-hmm. you know, uh, because it it makes you realize that. This is this is real too. Like you're seeing this on an everyday basis. That's why you're able to recognize it right away in the film, and because we have the 24-hour news networks that present yeah me present information in mm-hmm. this very propaganda style in fear mongering mm-hmm. and it's, also distraction. Yeah, that, that like uh, to go back to Stephen Fry's character. The reason he crossed the line is because he was supposed to distract with. Honey, have you seen my pants? I'm using Lego Movie as an example, but it's like just, just, just give us the fart jokes. Just give us mm-hmm. the CBS, right? Yeah. And he crossed the line into satire, mm-hmm. into having a message and saying something deeper through his comedy, and that was too far for the government. The yeah. government could not tolerate that because you're just supposed to placate the people, mm-hmm. and as soon as you start showing them. As soon as you pull back the curtain and start showing them the truth of the matter, that's when revolution can begin. Yes. So there's a great montage in this movie of people dressing up like V and, mm. and um, graffiti. There's the little girl subplot character that you see who goes out, and actually she's shot by the police yeah. for 
for vandalizing and putting a V over one of the signs. That's that's horrifying mm. and all too real. Yeah. And uh, I don't know where I was going with that. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I, I totally uh, get what you mean, especially with all the political movements that's happening right now. Just like V wanted to say, I don't want you to remember me. I want you to remember what I represent. The idea, yeah. The idea, the big theme. And I think that's that's what we as individuals get caught up sometimes is like how they're doing it instead of why they're doing it or what they're saying instead. Like yeah. going back to my um, criti- criticism of valuing property over bodies, you know, uh, riots happen when kids get shot by the police. Mm-hmm. And I don't condone the behavior, but I understand Martin Luther King said, Riot is the language of the unheard, and when you're pushed in the corner so much, like how else can you bring attention to the issue? You know, and and we we condemn them for it, even though when when our sports teams win, we go we go immediately and Flip tip a car, cars. <laughs> and and no one bats an eye, and that that just goes to show the double standard and the hypocrisy. Well, sh- yeah. I mean, dude, you, speaking of sports stars, it's in and and protestation. Yeah, it's like look. All these riots, you know what's the, what's the point you're making? Mm-hmm. You know, come on, you're you're just being crazy people out there. You need to have some sort of peaceful demonstration. As I'm saying this from behind my uh, enclosed house, <laughs> watching it on my TV set instead of being out in the street. Well, <laughs> uh, what I'm getting at is, yeah. you can come. Okay, fine. All these riots and 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 the movements that people are creating. Yeah. You don't like that? Okay, you want a peaceful demonstration? I'm gonna kneel for the national anthem. Mm. How dare you! <laughs> Like, look, you can't win here. Yeah. It's coming down to now. It's not how Hmm. I'm protesting. It's that I'm protesting. Yes. And and that's the issue. It goes to the... We don't like being uncomfortable, TC. Look, look, how dare you say black lives matter Hmm. because all lives matter. Hmm. Oh, how dare you? Blue lives matter. Hmm. Okay. If blue lives matter is not a problem then the key word here you didn't like in your protestation was black lives <laughs> was the black aspect of it. So it's not that there's protests happening. Yeah. It's how the protest is happening. Mm. And sorry, to, I'm not sorry. Yeah, of course I'm talking about You're that. not sorry, TC. But, yeah, but the that's what this movie, in, in that second half, of, that later half of the movie where V is inciting revolution mm. by, he pulled back the curtain. He took over the news yeah. and said, listen, people, in one year, I'm going to blow up Parliament yeah. <laughs> because this government and this country has gone too far yeah. and is no longer representing the true people out there. Mm. And and V saying, I am the one voice who's going to be heard in this crowd, but there's a crowd here, yeah. and you all need to stand up for yourselves and start saying something. Mm. And as painful as it is to go online and see people ranting and raving ignorantly, I can appreciate the the more intelligent and eloquent protestation from people I don't agree with mm. because at least they're doing it in a manner where they can support their beliefs behind something. Yeah. People are just like, I hate Hillary Clinton because she's a liar. <laughs> like, all right, you need to be more specific. So is 90% of all of us. <laughs> like, the, great, the best quote or one of my favorite quotes that stood out was uh, Evie quoting her father mm-hmm. saying, artists use lies to tell stories. But politicians use lies to cover up stories. Wow. Yeah. yeah. See, in this movie, mm. that's another example of some very poignant, timeless dialogue mm. uh, quotes from this film. <laughs> give, me, give me the chills. Give me the chills. And, um, um, yeah, 
I really appreciate this film, TC. Mm-hmm. I think it stands above the upper echelon of the superhero pantheon, and at least the comic book, tra- uh, yeah, comic book to screen pantheon, the adaptation, mm-hmm. uh, legacies of the adaptation. Uh, way better than Watchmen. <laughs> way better than From Hell and all the other Alan Moore stuff. League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. Yes, yeah, yeah. This might be the best Alan Moore film or a comic to film adaptation. If you go back and listen to our hundredth episode when mm-hmm. we did the uh, the rewatchment of the Watchmen, yeah, uh, I recommended this film over yes, you did. over Watchmen mm-hmm. because I don't think Watchmen hits its points. It's mm-hmm. all flash. V for Vendetta is certainly flash. These fight scenes are exciting. They mm-hmm. are well crafted. But the message is in there. The yeah. theme is in there. James McTeague executed a vision mm-hmm. of a film, yeah. and that makes this movie better than you would think. Yes, I it think. uses the flesh to lure mm-hmm. instead of to distract, uh, like beg you to stay. Shallow. Yeah, yeah. There, you go. there it is. There it is. <laughs> That's Zack Snyder's mo. Yeah. Look, I'm giving you all this flesh. Please, Please. watch my movie. <laughs> Look, that was from the comic. Remember? 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 <laughs> November. November. See that lines there, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, technical stuff. For what what really stood out to you? Yeah, even though it's like ten years ago, I, I feel like a lot of the things that they used um, visually mm-hmm. does not look goofy. It still looks like it could have been made this year. Yes, it still holds. The, yeah. the the editing pace of this film is great. The mm-hmm. use of montage is great. The the direction to the actors still holds up yeah like this movie does not feel dated at all now and it's it's over 10 years old this is, yes this is over a decade old movie and it does not feel that way i think that's great vision yeah uh, uh the knife fight the climactic knife fight with v oh where, God, where so exhilarating and and it's such a it's such a theatrical presentation it is so yeah. cinematic they it's all line ballet. up they all shoot him he takes the shots in slow-mo and he looks up and says my turn yeah and then he moves uh, a great example of James McTeague's direction in this and how he executed it, and this certainly comes from a cinematographer's brain, is it's a slow-mo fight scene, right? They f- Not only did they film it in slow-mo, they moved in slow-mo. Really? The actors, the choreography of that fight scene was not film it at 60 frames per second and just do the choreography. No. The fingermen and the, 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 the black suits of that scene are moving at a at a at a brisk choreographed pace, um, but they're moving slower, so that wow. uh, Hugo Weaving's double V mm-hmm. is moving at the correct pace and then filming at sixty frames a second. So he's moving even faster than they are in the slow mo because all of the choreography was done, moved in actual slow mo. That's so cool, <laughs> and, and it it you wouldn't know unless I had told you that. But watching that fight scene. There was already something unique about it. Like I, I like that single fight scene with the knives for that climactic fight in that single location, V versus those ten guys, without believing into a car chase or a big. So much better than anything in the two Matrix sequels. <laughs> I think it's because you feel the weight of following this character's mm-hmm. journey up to this point. Because this is the end game. Yeah. This is he needs to die in order to have his. Vision actualized, and, and that's why you're like you're dreading it, but then you're like, okay, V, this is very honorable. Let's do this. It's the yeah. it's a it's a masterfully crafted building of stakes mm-hmm. that we know why this fight is happening. Yeah, we and and that's where a lot of uh, fight scenes lose 
is because we don't have a clear idea of why the fight is taking place. Yeah. Look, we can look at Civil War and Batman versus Superman Dawn of Justice, the two movies that had have been most talked about. I can't think of any other two movies this summer that are more talked about. And yes, they are dumb, flashy comic book movies. Um, they are not devoid of substance, though. Mm. We understand why Tony and Steve fight in that last fight. We, I don't think there is a clear idea of why Batman is fighting Superman <laughs> at the end of BVS. I don't want to talk. And and more than that, even because yes, I could. You can pick out reasons why those two are fighting. The Doomsday fight mm. means nothing. Mm. It doesn't mean anything. It's it is nothing but flash. There's no substance to that fight. So the stakes of that fight do not make me want to watch it again and again and again. The or to to even appreciate why the fight's taking place. It's just dumb. Yes. And don't get me wrong. We love dumb. Right? <laughs> Fast and the Furious. We will say it a hundred times in every podcast. Mm-hmm. We will at least mention it once that we. Like those movies for what they are, yeah. but they're not trying to be anything more than they are. Yeah, I mean they approach they approach unintelligence in a very earnest way. Yeah, you know what I mean. Like Batman v Superman is trying to wear this sleeve this this mantra of like we are the successors of Christopher Nolan. <laughs> this is part of his legacy, well, and we're gonna yeah. we're we're gonna portray. This is so self serious. Mm. I think that's mm. why it's it was you you can't. Not be so serious in a comic book movie. It needs to be entertaining. But like you said, the stakes. The, Build the yeah. stakes. We know why Steve and Tony are fighting. And that fight is exciting and it's very cool. Yeah. It's choreographed. It's filmed well. It's filmed well. Mm. It's, uh, it's a cool fight scene. But at the same time, having just sat through two hours of this movie, we know why they're fighting. Yeah. And we are anticipating what's going to happen. In V for Vendetta, that final fight... It's a single location, V versus those guys, and it means everything. Mm-hmm. We've we've come two hours into the movie. We've come almost two hours to get to this point, and this is the payoff. And that is damn fine filmmaking. Yeah. That is wonderful filmmaking because there needs to be a point, whether it's the themes of the movie of fighting for freedom or just following this man on his revenge kick and mm-hmm. will he get his revenge. It's more than that. It's why is he getting his revenge? Yeah. Why does he deserve to have this climax and why do we as an audience want to get there Mm -hmm. and that's what makes a movie like this so good yes and still so good Mm -hmm. i think it's clear that we like this movie (laughs) (laughs) are there any would you say uh semi rewatching it again Mm -hmm. any critiques anything where you're like "Mm, that didn't hold up as well um the I, okay, so I guess if I have to be critical of, I do have to be critical. That's what I do. <laughs> but to be a little more critical of it, yes, some of the bad guy, like clearly a bad guy, <laughs> can be really on the nose. Yeah, the Bill O'Reilly, the voice, mm-hmm. the he's such a slimy. But okay, I'm going to go two ways on this. He's so slimy. He's so ridiculous to to be saying those terrible things with such venom and volume yeah and to think like come on who (laughs) would watch that guy and not think what a piece of shit (laughs) ben do you know how many views tommy lauren gets on facebook i really don't want to (laughs) know millions 
and millions. Uh, so then maybe that's maybe where I watch that and go, oh, boy, this is a little cartoony. Then I see that the <laughs> like Bill O'Reilly, and I see and I see Tommy Lauren, and yeah. I see and I see. Uh, I'm trying to think of a liberal loudmouth. <laughs> uh, Oberman. Oberman. Yes. Oh God, the perfect. Like, <laughs> you look at these. These very loud and cartoonish voices in mm. our reality yeah. who have millions of people watching this. So then, <laughs> so then maybe the cartoonishness of the voice is not as cartoonish as <laughs> I think it is. Two on the nose. <laughs> um, I'll have to say that there is a bit of an underdevelopment with the villains, or at least the quote-unquote antagonists. Mm-hmm. Um, they are, like you mentioned or alluding to earlier with the voice of England – I felt as though I didn't really know what John Hurt's motives were other than I am the, bad. He's the head. He's yeah. the head. Yeah, he's big brother. The mm. voice is the – oh, you're saying – Oh, yeah. Gotcha. <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, John Hurt's character, and I felt like Creedy was introduced too late in the game. Yes, yes, that would be a very fair criticism Yeah, because he, he is not fully established until yeah. halfway through the film, mm. and he's the final showdown villain. Yeah, I, it would have been more interesting – Obviously, like, the whole film is built on this backbone of V's ideas mm-hmm. and V's revenge. So these crit- criticisms that we're making don't carry much as, as much weight as those themes. Yeah. But uh, if Creedy was a little bit more developed, I think that last fight would have been even more effective. Because mm-hmm. uh, we don't really know him either. He's just kind of like, okay, you're bad, so I guess you need to die. Right. Yeah. Yeah, he, he is... Of the underdeveloped villains, he is the most underdeveloped. Mm-hmm. underdeveloped. However, I'll, I'll take a step back to look at who V seeks his revenge on are the people who harmed him in the hospital. Yes. And what was Creedy's role? Uh, in, was he the guard? No, that was the voice. The voice was a commander. Yeah. Creedy was... <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll say this, though. Another kind of... I don't know if this was meant to be a mini movie, but I kind of saw it as a mini movie, or at least a mini scene. Mm-hmm. Was the dialogue exchange with V and uh, the Doctor? I forgot her name, but it was so. There's so much empathy oozing out of that scene because it's a great depiction of not everything is black and white as it is good and evil. Mm-hmm. This woman had great intentions. She wanted to find a cure for this disease, but she took it to uh, – to, she had desperate measures. You know, She experimented on humans and hurt real human lives in order to achieve her goals. Right. She, she came from the place of the needs of the many yeah. outweigh the needs of the few. Yeah. And unfortunately, that was too far for mm. one of those few. And it's, it's great that her and V actually had that conversation, and she wasn't – brutally murdered you know she, she died very peacefully yes, yeah she accepted her fate yeah because she and the, and that goes to the the morality within us mm. within the characters as well that she knew she deserved it yes and she probably had carried that weight yeah with her and lived with that weight mm-hmm. for however many years until he showed up and she probably knew her death was that that was coming yeah in some way or fashion she knew what her what justice for her actions mm. should be and so she accepts that fate. That is a very well well done scene. It's so powerful, especially when it gets to the climax of the scene is when she asks if if uh, may I apologize. Mm-hmm. He's he's like always, you know. Yeah. And it's and even in V's heart as as uh, 
blindly, single-mindedly driven by violence and revenge and vendetta, he was able to find forgiveness in his heart for that one sliver of a second, and mm-hmm. it was it was it was gorgeous. It was mwah. Loved well, it. That's a credit to, and we we I don't think we've discussed him nearly enough, if at all. Hugo Weaving. Yes, uh, the, he he did it in a mass the entire time. Yeah. So now initially James Purview. Purfoy. Purfoy, thank you. Purfoy. Was uh, was he a candidate for Wolverine, or was that somebody else? Um, potentially. Okay. I'm, I'm not sure. I know J- Dougary Scott was up there. Oh, it was Dougary Scott. But uh, James Purfoy was the prince in A Knight's Tale, if you need a face to go with the name. <laughs> <laughs> I can't even see it. <laughs> I still don't see it. <laughs> he, he's he's the, the prince who's hiding as, a, as um, a knight so he can joust, and then once they find out that he's... Oh, we can't fight him. He's the prince. Yeah. And Heath Ledger's like, he knows what's up. <laughs> <laughs> ah! <laughs> Anyhow, um, creative differences, Adam, leave the project, and Hugo Weaving came on board. Um, there are still some existing scenes of Bravois work. Yeah, he left five weeks into production. Yeah. But uh, it's it's Weaving who came in and gave a voice to V, mm. and that performance is incredible. That That is a credit to his ability to do that with a no uh, with a with a mask with yeah. a emo, like even in the comic the mask changes mm-hmm. like the artist took took subtlety to create a little bit of a smile yeah. or a little bit of a frown just to change the mask even though it's a mask change it a little bit in the movie that mask is immovable they light it certain ways they film it from certain angles to help portray the emotion but it's weaving's voice and and some and his movement as well once he's in that costume that that makes the the character so powerful. Yes, absolutely. I can't see anyone else do it. Um, oh my gosh! No. And his his theatrically trained background really lend itself to this uh, colorful, bombastic character because, though, like what we were talking about off, off mic, there's this monologue with like how many v- fifty eight V words. Fifty eight V words. I was just hoping Elmo would pop out of the corner and be like <laughs> V is for violence <laughs> <laughs> and it's so great man because i think he's so he's such an underappreciated actor he this he, is certainly one of his one of my favorite roles of his yes you know, being agent smith being uh um elrod in in lord of the rings and Actually, megatron, <laughs> and, and megatron yeah. <laughs> um but it's like uh, the scene where he's fencing against the suit of armor yeah and reenacting the fight scene from count of monte cristo which mm. is his favorite movie in his movements and the, and there's a there's a comedy in his in his physical acting yeah in that moment and there's such a in, he's so imposing as a character in his physicality in other points in the movie and his vocal performance it's such an it's such an all-encompassing performance without ever seeing his yeah. face once and that's that's incredible that is a, a a masterclass performance. There's so much control and restraint to it. Yeah. Um, even as uh, theatrical and over top, that it comes off as superficially. It's it takes a lot of just willpower to not take it to a cartoonish level. Mm-hmm. Um, and no ego. Yes. You, you cannot have because how, seriously, just think about how many <laughs> movies does the character have a mask? We paid for the face. Get that mask mm. off. We need to see Tobey Maguire's face. That mask, <laughs> get that. Mask. We need to see Chris Evans' face. Get mm. that mask off. Get. I mean, hell, if they didn't have the inside of Iron Man, yeah. you know that mask would be coming off <laughs> all the time. Uh, I, I I cringe every time it happens. <laughs> I wish it didn't happen 
in Civil War so much. I felt like that happened the most in that film. It's um, it's it's such a Hollywood motivated thing. <laughs> it's it's not about the art. It's about let me see the face of our performer. Yeah, and I think I can only think of one other time that someone refused to take off the mask, which was uh, Carb and a Dread. Dread, yes, yeah. yeah, that was like a must. He's like, I'll accept the role, but I can never take the mask off. That's yeah, that is art. Mm. That is someone who genuinely cares about the performance and love for the material. Yeah. Uh, the the only time we get to see V without his mask is when he's coming out of the wreckage of the church. Yes, and even then he was just this shadowy figure. Yeah, yeah. And, and oh god, that what a great stunt to talk, to go back to the to some filmmaking in that that it was a negative three degrees day. <laughs> they put the stunt actor in frozen clothes mm-hmm. to keep his body temperature down. Because all he was wearing was a G-string, and his body was covered in a flame retardant gel. Yeah. And they set the whole place on fire, mm. and he literally walked through fire. There's no CG in that scene. Wow. That is a that is an actual physical human being yeah. stepping through flames to do that performance. Man, that, I, I am so much more appreciative of the technical levels of this film because... Just what you mentioned, and even like the blood stuff. It's not. I don't think it's CG blood. I think it's exploding packs from the the vests and stuff. It's fantastic. Yeah. Um, it's because it has to go to to uh, McTeague, mm-hmm. who is a DP and knows what's going to look good on camera. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that's not a dude who goes who probably films thinking like this will look good with CG all over. <laughs> but hell, the Dominoes. Yeah, the Dominoes took forty people to do. 200 hours to set that up for one shot and it it could have easily been in a lesser hands of a less or in the hands of a lesser director that could have easily just been a self-indulgent moment of just like look how cool this is or and it certainly has some flash to it but think of the poignancy of the imagery that a single domino knocks down this Mm -hmm. world of dominoes that's that's how revolutions begin it's a perfect practice of that of the Godfather montage. Yeah, you know, like <laughs> yeah. having it, setting in that single location and having flashes of other things happening, mm-hmm. flashes of very grisly or very um, uh, bad things happening. It's the yeah. it's the baptism montage. Yeah, the, the baptism Godfather. montage. <laughs> <laughs> it, and it could easily have been done with computers. Yes, it would probably be done with computers now. Can, can we just? We have the technology now, James. It's two thousand six. No, no. I want masters in here setting <laughs> that shit up. I want real down. I want two hundred hours of work to go into this. <laughs> it will be worth it. <laughs> One would argue it wasn't, because you could do that with with CG now. Yeah, but I I don't know. I think that that just that alone. Yeah, that dedication to do that moment, practically, yeah, says something to how important it was for James McTeague to craft this film. It shows how much he cared. Yeah. Because yeah. little, like, I don't want to say little choices, but choices like that are reflective of you as a creator. Mm-hmm. Like, do you want to take the easy route? Or are you willing to put in some work? And that's why even if you don't like this film, you got to get your hat off to things like that because that takes such tender love and care, DC, mm-hmm. as you know, for someone who's been working on a feature for a long time and have been doing it so diligently instead of taking the easy way out and CGing yeah. and everything. Um <laughs> I, you can't, you can't, but not tip your hat off to that. Yeah, it, it, it's a study of filmmaking. Yeah. So, um, so I guess I guess we can kind of wrap it up there then. Yeah. That, that this film is worthy of watching on so many levels. To, from an acting perspective, mm-hmm. to see what Hugo Weaving crafts in V, 
and to see the performances of 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 Natalie Portman, who actually, I I think I'm going to give her a little more credit than maybe you you did in in your critique of her, which is you know perfectly fair. Uh. <laughs> but uh, to to have such a powerful performance from a woman who you know to be a female lead and to be offered that many avenues to explore in a single character, I don't mm. I think that's rare in in a lot of what's especially in comic book adaptations, what females get to do. That's true. You know, think of some of our strongest... Jane Foster. Characters. Well, I was going to say our, our most beloved adaptations from comics and then think of the female roles in it and yeah. how minimal they are. Mm. I think some of the... You, know, you think like Pepper. I, I actually think Pepper Potts is a more explored character than Black Widow. I wouldn't argue that. Because, I mean, Iron Man 3, she was pretty awesome in that movie. <laughs> <laughs> but it's it, the performances from Nelly, the performances from Stephen Fry and John Hurt and a lot of the lesser cast members as well. Uh, Finch, who's the detective um, exploring the the mystery of V and becoming a revolutionary himself to stand up against the government. We didn't really discuss him, but... Because he's the worst cop ever. <laughs> <laughs> as is tradition of movie. Um, but he... His performance, the little girl who I mentioned earlier, the one who does the yeah. graffiti, um, that oh, that final moment with all the characters being represented in the crowd when they take off V's mask and all the characters who died over the course of the film are mm. there in the crowd. There's such nuance in, in their perform in all their performances as yeah. well. To look at it from a technical perspective of the direction, the choices of filming that slow-mo scene while moving in slow-mo, the dominoes. The the knife time, bullet time, but knife time, knife time, and the script itself being crafted so so well, and, and I think we've discussed it many times. The art of adaptation. No, this is not a direct adaptation of V for Vendetta, the comic book, but the themes that it explores in that are similar between the two, mm. and that the that the book could inspire this which is a reaction to the society we lived in at the time. Yeah. And it echoes to the society we live in now in America mm-hmm. is incredible. Yeah. Uh, so I, I absolutely 100% definitely recommend this movie on all those levels. I too, good sir. Do you have a recommendation, an alternative, alternative to this film? Yes. So if you would like to explore more of the flash mm-hmm. and less of the substance of the film, and I don't mean that in a negative way. I just mean if you're if you're looking for something that's a little more cool. I think we're going to do the same <laughs> one. Should we say at the same time? Well, I, I don't know. Maybe not. All right, ready? And Equilibrium. Equilibrium, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Equilibrium star, starring the, the future Batman, Christian Bale. Future Batman. Um, it, is, it came out a year year before the matrix or a year after it came out really close to the matrix and it's an indie film by by a very upstart director Hmm. and it's definitely a cult movie because it it did not get a wide release in america yeah um lost a lot of money yeah and it (laughs) and it's it has a lot of similarities to v yeah but all the criticizing we did to v in terms of its kind of cartoonishness and heavy-handedness Ooh, you better believe Equilibrium has it even, <laughs> <laughs> even more. Ah, man, something about that film. There's <laughs> there is a very strange rewatchability to Equilibrium. Like, I can't – there's never a time where I can't pop that in and be like, ah, pleasure. It's, <laughs> it's a cool, slick film. It explores a lot of the same themes mm. and, and uh, 
the the performances from Sean Bean and Christian Bale are are really neat. Yeah. Emily Watson, I think. Is Emily the, Watson. Yeah. Um, Tay Diggs, Tay, anybody? <laughs> he's such a oh my god! But I I believe that's why we're recommending it to V because it does yeah. explore similar scenes. In if only, and that, not to do a rewatchment on Equilibrium right now, but there is one scene in particular, and it's the first time Christian Bale's character hears oh, music. Yeah, is such a performance. Yeah, like that scene alone is so moving. Mm-hmm. He he made that movie. Yeah. I mean, like if. If you were to insert Channing Tatum or like <laughs> Jai Courtney or Sam Worthington in that role, it would not be the same. No, no, no. Because no, that, no. that movie sucks, DC. Like, that movie's not a good movie. E- equilibrium but... <laughs> equilibrium sucks. <laughs> but, but Christian Bale made it way better than it should be. <laughs> it is exploring a lot of the same things. And, yeah. and what a what a interesting the color palette of V for Vendetta is orange. Yes. They're orange and red. Mm. Like that is that is the the color palette of Equilibrium is the exact opposite. It's blue. Blue. <laughs> and that is literally the exact opposite on the color wheel. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but it's a very matrixy. It's a much it's a it's a more shallow film. Mm. Definitely rewatchable. Yeah. Um but if if what you're walking away from V is the flash and mm. you want more of it, Equilibrium. Yes. And, and Equilibrium is streaming on Amazon Prime right now. Oh, nice. Yeah. Watch it and understand why it sent Christian Bale into a depression spiral. Because <laughs> that's that's when he almost quit acting was because of that movie. <laughs> really? I did not know that. Yeah. Until he picked up The Machinist. And, wow. and he said, I I like was reinvigorated by acting again because I was given a purpose wow. to do something greater than myself, I guess. Because that's when he was coming off like – a string of bunch of bombs like Rain of Fire and, and, oh, and Shaft. Shaft. That's right. <laughs> Shaft. He's like, I am so tired of this because I, Hollywood was trying to box him as this next pretty boy. guy, yeah, and yeah. he was like, I'm an actor. Yeah, you know, I, I'm a professional. <laughs> <laughs> if you want to know why there was no doubt that Christian Bale was a perfect choice for Batman mm-hmm. from film lovers, American Psycho and Equilibrium. Yep, American Psycho was like, he can do Bruce, he can do crazy. Uh, Equilibrium was like this dude can fight. Yes, <laughs> gun kata. <laughs> so, so there we go. Um, if you have any thoughts and feelings about V for Vendetta, please. I have another rec. Oh, you do have another recommendation. Yes, I please. just thought of it. Yeah, it, yeah, it go popped ahead. in my mind. I think a perfect companion to those two, uh, since it also is action genre commenting on government mm-hmm. battle royale. Uh-huh. Okay. Yeah. Um, I know folks like to go straight to the Hunger Games, but I, I, the books are way better than that movie, by the way. <laughs> but um, Battle Royale is very interesting because it gives agency to the people. Um, like V and Equilibrium. V is cool because it focuses on one vigilante. Mm-hmm. Equilibrium focuses on the government kind of questioning themselves because yeah. Christian Bale plays a like a police officer he's an type. Agent. He's yeah. like he's like what a fingerman was. In, yeah, in v. they need to get their names changed. <laughs> <laughs> well, do you know what the names? There's the head, the arm, the body, the fingers, like the structure of the oh. government. Is, is the body. Yeah. I did not. I yeah. did not catch that. Yeah, okay, the, that's cool. The, the structure of the V for Vendetta government is the human body. That's cool. Yeah, I did not realize that. <laughs> uh, but <laughs> but this is uh, Battle Royale sets it in a scenario where. Um, the people kind of have to fight back to mm-hmm. regain control. Um, kind of, uh, they, they, they're forced to play a game, but in turn they end up revolting against the game. So it's, really, it's a really fantastic exploration of um, government having too much power, people kind of actualizing power within themselves. Mm-hmm. And it's just a really cool, stylish look 
I, I, I'm not like I'm a fan of violence when it's driven purpose. towards a greater meaning, a greater mm-hmm. purpose. Mm-hmm. And the violence in Battle Royale is absolutely brutal and memorable, but it serves a really great purpose and it has an incredible payoff. Yeah, yeah. I, you know, there's there's multiple films we could recommend, and it's just the it is V for Vendetta and Equilibrium and Battle Royale is the exact opposite commentary of idiocracy <laughs> just in its presentation like yeah. the substance of those films mm-hmm. it's it's i'll say it again i'll say it a million times it's the best science fiction the best science fiction will question reality as it is now mm-hmm. so yeah so i'm looking forward to if anyone has any commentary on v for vendetta hit me up uh twitter uh, you can hit me on twitter at at tc's big head or if you want to message ben at benji toes or comment in on Facebook or wherever you might be listening to this. If you are on iTunes, head over to firmamentfilms.com to comment there. Um, but uh, let's take a break here and let's come back with some current events and news and just catching up on some general conversation. Sound good, Ben? Sounds good, TZ. All right. Um, remember, remember the 5th of November because that's when Marty McFly went back in time. He went to November 5th. Was it? 1955. Oh, my gosh. Double feature. So now you will never forget. thing i forgot to mention that we're talking about the dedication of v for vendetta here mm-hmm. like the the artistry the composer composed themes of the song yeah where the structure of the notes on the bars is a v wow yeah. so the evie's theme uh-huh. the musical notes go up and down in a v fashion on the paper that is so impressive <laughs> what <laughs> <laughs> I, I just want to go home and watch this again. <laughs> uh, well, here we go, everyone. Now we're just going to catch up on some current events, um, news, and trailers. And uh, actually, let's just kick off with trailers. So the Logan trailer has dropped on the same day as Red Dead Redemption 2 dropped. Yes. I shouldn't have watched Red Dead Redemption after Logan because the Logan trailer was such a great cowboy western trailer that mm-hmm. the Red Dead Redemption, where it was just cutscenes and... and, and uh, um, locations and atmosphere was so disappointing. <laughs> <laughs> you like farmland. You like pasture. <laughs> Here's a river. <laughs> Logan. Logan, directed by James Mangold. Who did The Wolverine. The Wolverine yeah. and Night and Day. <laughs> <laughs> but this is Hugh Jackman's last ride. 
Supposedly. <laughs> <laughs> you don't believe it. Hey, they could always pay him to come back for more. <laughs> yeah, you could always do I I can't not see him do another cameo. Yeah. yeah. But this this is this is probably his last. Hmm. Uh, his last foray into Wolverine as Wolverine, the the character that made him. Like yeah. he, and he, that is not lost on him. He mm. knows and appreciates and loves the fact that his entire world is built upon the shoulders of Brian Singer casting yeah. him as Logan. Isn't it incredible how long he's been playing that character? I the when I first saw X Men, I was in fifth grade. Yeah, or <laughs> no fourth grade, and. Wow, it's it just my whole life Wolverine was Hugh Jackman. There's never been anyone else. Yeah, and you know, I, I take that for granted because Wolverine has not necessarily been my favorite character, but he's always been an enjoyable constant to have. Oh, yeah. And, and to see anyone try to fill their shoes, I, I don't know, it's 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 weird. <laughs> it's one of those situations, and it, it happens often with, with such iconic roles. I weep for whoever thinks they're going to have to, whoever has to follow <laughs> Logan, uh, Hugh Jackman is Zach Efron. Uh, yeah, yeah, I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry, whoever you are. Yeah, I'm sorry. <laughs> I know a lot of people are clamoring for Tom Hardy. I personally think Tom Hardy's better, too good for the project. Yes. But even Tom Hardy, as great of an actor as he is, he's it wouldn't it would not feel right. Yeah, you know, you would have to you would have to go way younger or way older if you're going to do completely different again. a completely different Wolverine. Yeah. I just think once upon a time De Niro was considered for Wolverine. What? Yeah, that's um, Mel Gibson was considered for Wolverine. I can see his personality. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but this Logan trailer, yeah, as soon as it kicked off with with uh, Johnny Cash hurts, I rolled my eyes. Uh-huh. But then the first bits of imagery started hitting the screen. I was like, and then tears came out of your eyes. Hold the phone. Yeah, this is this is an amazingly crafted trailer. Yes. This is Unforgiven with claws. <laughs> <laughs> I will say, never forget that trailers lie. Yes. Okay. Do not judge a movie on its trailer. You yes. cannot judge a movie on its trailer because the ballroom blitz and, and uh, <laughs> Bohemian Rhapsody Suicide Squad trailers were incredible. So good. <laughs> so good to see. <laughs> and and then there, are, there are a plethora of lists you can Google online where the trailer trailer is better than the movies. Yeah. There's more than a few but this is a damn good trailer yeah um wow it, it looks like it looks like none other x-men movie yes or and it's very it stands very independently of any other superhero movie especially visually because i don't think we've had well i don't know if you count jonah hex but <laughs> uh, a western <laughs> superhero film that was completely and honestly a western itself just happens to have uh, centered around a mutant. Yeah, I, I I hope that what they accomplish is telling a good movie mm-hmm. that ha- a good cowboy western themed film yeah. stylistically that happens to have Wolverine and Professor X in it. Yes, and and Mangold <laughs> has proven to have produced a uh, a good western film in Three Ten to Yuma. Mm. Yeah, so um, and I realized that was him. That's okay. Yeah. That's a good sign. Mm-hmm. So he has western tastes or a, a knack for it. So um, I, I can only hope the best. I, I do have a source, though. Yes. That says this script is terrible. Ah, uh, see, and there, yeah. there, therein lies the the rub. There, I, yeah. That does not surprise me. Yeah. Um, I genuinely like two thirds of the Wolverine. Yes. It's the third act where it just turns into boss battle. That's <laughs> no good. Samurai robot. Yeah. <laughs> but two thirds of that movie is really 
quite good. There's a good movie there. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's Jackman's doing his thing. There's a cool stylistic. There's some nice uh, Japanese influence mm-hmm. on the filmmaking yeah. of the Wolverine. And I can only hope that that happens again in Logan. Mm-hmm. It's unfortunate to hear that the script might not be all that solid. But, hey, yeah. you know what? There are actors who can take not good material yes. and turn spin gold. Mm-hmm. And when you have someone as genuinely caring as Hugh Jackman, someone who is a lifetime of experience like Patrick Stewart, there there could be something there. Yes. Um, I don't know what this does for the messed up timeline that is the X-Men universe because this is the future once again. Do you think this will be more of an alt-universe or Elseworlds type story? I, I, at the very least, this will be heavily removed from whatever they're doing mm. in the new class universe. Because that would be so confusing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. As if it's not convoluted yeah. enough. <laughs> you know what, though? Anyone who wants to complain about the timeline of the of the movies yeah. for the X-Men has clearly never read an X-Men comic book <laughs> for an extended period of time. No one ever dies. There is no more convoluted comic book universe than specifically the X-Men. Yeah. I will go to the mat on that one. <laughs> Challenge me. I dare you. <laughs> I just want to see you do another diagram on the board Like for I did us. for Terminator? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, hey, that, I, I'm, I'm excited. It's a good-looking trailer. Yeah. And well, to TBD. Do you think – I mean, there is this great sense of grit to it that we come in love of the Western aesthetic. Mm-hmm. But there is also another sense of, like, this is kind of too polished. Because that's what I got from Mangold's The Wolverine. Yeah. Like, when you got uh, uh, images like, there's no music at all except for one uh, one uh, taiko drum mm-hmm. beat going on and on. And then a drop of water in the lake and then the snow falls behind, mm-hmm. like, this Japanese village. And then it's smack dab in the middle, it's Wolverine, and then ten ninjas. <laughs> that's cool imagery. Yeah. But then the rest of the film is, like, super glossy and super stylized in a very... Uh, Studio formulaic way. Yes. Did you yeah. get any sense of that from this trailer? Mm, I I didn't get enough. I didn't get enough to to come to that. Yeah. I was more focused on the imagery that was really popping to mm-hmm. me. The fact that if that is X twenty three as the heir to Wolverine, Wolverine's clone daughter from the <laughs> comics. I think she's been confirmed as X twenty three. Okay. Mm-hmm. Then that's not someone to carry on the mantle of Wolverine yeah. because she would have to exist in the further future. Oh, if you really yes. wanted her to take over for Wolverine, you'd find a way to fit her into con- the nine, like the new class. Mm. That's not going to work. Mm. You can't because if you're placing her there, the only way to get her back is either screw things up again. Or- <laughs> <laughs> oh man. It All just right. got, it just got real. <laughs> <laughs> All right. What, what other news we got here, Ben? Uh, I just had the Logan trailer. Did you have any more news, sir? <sighs> nope. <laughs> because We are professional. They, well, no, it's just a matter of there's nothing else worth talking about except The Walking Dead. <laughs> <laughs> so let's get to it. Uh, we, will, we will get to it in just a moment. I just want to say anyone who's listening who maybe waits to watch Walking mm. Dead or hasn't seen the episode yet and you're listening now, we are going to be discussing very spoiler-heavy heavy stuff. So this is probably where the episode ends for you. Um, thank you for listening. <laughs> uh, check us out on Facebook at firmitfilms.com on Facebook or the band with no name on Facebook. You can also follow us on Instagram and Twitter individually. I'm t- at TC's Big Head. Ben is at Benji Toes. And you can also find the band with no name on YouTube. 
So go follow all that social media stuff. With that being said, thank you for listening. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Okay, you're gone. Bye-bye. Okay. You've been warned. Bye-bye. Uh-huh. You've been warned. <laughs> you know what, Ben? Before we talk Walking Dead, I know I just dismissed everybody, but congratulations on your Moana um, situation. For, uh, you got to interview. Like, is that public knowledge yet? Yes, it's public. Okay. Um, I Thank you, TC, by the way. You're much too kind, sir. Um, I got to visit... The Moana set at Walt Disney Animation Studios, and I interviewed Ron Clements and John Musker, the directors of the film. Um, the, these guys are legends, man. Mm-hmm. Great. And I do think we did touch about the, on this a little bit last week with the episode, but now the the article is now available to read. Yes. 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 And so you can find that on NBC News and NBC Asian America. Um just on the website or on Facebook, it's actually on all available on all social media platforms. But it's there's a, a quite popular, right? I mean, quite popular. Uh, one, one of the more engaged uh, article pieces of this week and of the month, even right? Oh, maybe <laughs> <laughs> doing it to my own horn. Oh, but, yeah. boop, boop. I'll do but, it for you. It's one but, of the most engaged pieces. <laughs> <laughs> but there's there's also a video accompanied, which I cut as well. So it was one. It's my first press junket, so it's really exciting to do because yes. I've never actually got to do anything like that before. So very, very cool. If you want some insight on Moana, on the filmmaking, and on the Polynesian filmmaking aspect of it, right? The exploration of um, uh, marginalized Mm. characters. I love this. I love this idea that she's a superhero. Yes. She's not a, she's not a princess. She's a superhero. Yeah. And that's, that's pretty badass. That's pretty great. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I, I'm definitely looking forward to seeing that, uh, seeing the movie itself. So, uh, but, there was another news story that you wrote an article for. <laughs> oh, a, a current you're making event. me blushed easy. There was a current event that then <laughs> did some uh, did there some. I mean, this is a big deal. I mean, yeah. So again, you've been warned. So <laughs> screw you if you're listening. To this <laughs> the Walking Dead premiered mm-hmm. this past week, uh, a few days ago on Sunday. Well, I've got to remember when this is this episode airs. Oh yes, <laughs> <laughs> we're traveling through time here, Ben. Uh, we'll say last week, last yes. Sunday, and. The cliffhanger of last season was that someone got beat to death by a ba- with a baseball bat hmm. by Negan, portrayed by Jeffrey Dean Morgan. Yes, in a in a season as we've critiqued it, if you go back and listen to our critique of it, that it had been progressively driving towards the flash of violence and less about the character development. And this season opened with same old song and dance of what they've done. This is this is one of the most violent. And awful things I have ever seen on television. That's saying a lot. The, That's saying a lot. The Red Wedding of Game of Thrones affected me for mm. a week or more where I couldn't stop thinking about it and being affected by it. Mm. And the pain of what Catelyn goes through and what Rob goes through and what that family has gone through. Like, the gravity of that situation... But it was so violent and, and, and un, unset, upsetting and, and just unsettling that, yeah. that it stuck with me. It still sticks with me. But that's damn good television. Yes. What they did on The Walking Dead, I cannot defend it. No? As anything more than such hyper-violence. I... I'm sorry. I'm gonna. I'm just have a lot of feelings. <laughs> no, You're the no. one who wrote the article. I'm babbling <laughs> like an asshole. I really enjoyed your conversation on your thread between you and your buddy. Um, mm. I can't remember who, what his name was. Uh, Andrew. Andrew. That's what I was gonna say. Yeah. Uh, I really respected that conversation because it was so. 
thoughtful. Mm. You guys were making your points very eloquently, and it wasn't there. There wasn't a, a, a venom in the back yeah. and forth. It was a respectful disagreement. And I enjoyed reading Andrew's perspective on why it works, why it's good. And I've seen it in a few other places as well where it's like, this is the points. This is the points to to feel what these characters are feeling, to be absolutely miserable in these. But to your point, which I'll let you explain, let, let you explain further, is that, okay, fine. Maybe that was the point. But it could have been more. It could have been built upon more. And it could have meant more than that mm. and it was so shallow and so irritating that they that they did what they did that they killed glenn in that fashion after listening to that pompous freaking windbag monologue for that long in such a mustache twirling cartoonish unrealistic way yes i know it's a zombie movie it's unrealistic, <laughs> show. It's unrealistic to begin with I don't think Jeffrey Dean Morgan's that good to to be allowed to monologue for that goddamn long, and then to just do that. Mm. That was not filmmaking. That that was not crafted in a in as effective way as it could have been. It was done just for shock, and I'm and I'm upset by it. Obviously, <laughs> so now that I got that off my chest, Ben, yes. please go. Oh man, that was that was really cool to listen to because. I, don't know, I felt watching it. I felt alone for some reason, you know, because here is this incredibly, at least the most fully fleshed Asian American character we've ever had on television, and that's obviously saying not a lot at all because of what his role has diminished to, to becoming dumpster diving, death. Uh, fake out death device yeah. and I, I argued about that and I think I've had time to process it especially during the lull that was between the finale and the premiere from last season to this season I've come to accept that they're gonna do it I I just played all the scenarios in my head of you know what if this person were to be off and what if this person were to be off it would just I just don't know why there's just because with the trajectory that Scott Gimple, since he's took uh, taken over the show, has gone, I just don't see a different scenario. Because ever since Frank Darabont left, it has become less filmmaker-driven, less cinematic, less thoughtfully character-driven stories. Because what's so great about this zombie apocalypse versus a zombie apocalypse of Zombieland or uh, or uh, World War Z? Mm-hmm. Is a, it, it was about the individual and about the morality and the moral choices that we make in very harsh and desolate times. It was much more to the classic. It was much more to the classic George Romero yes. zombie, Night mm-hmm. of the Living Dead, um, in that it is, it is an exploration of the people and, mm-hmm. and the society they exist in. Using this fantastical element of the zombie horror movie to act as this hyperbolic allegory of us, mm-hmm. you know, like mm-hmm. you said about sci-fi, reflection of us and... To Andrew's point, he did say, you know, what if it's, it's the point for this show to be nullist? And I can't disagree with that because that's all they've shown us. But maybe my point to counter that would be, should that be what we expect as an audience? Because doesn't that say more about us 
than the creators. Because the creators, I can't fault them. They're doing their job. You know, they're doing what they love. And maybe they're not blinded to – they're kind of blinded to the bigger picture because they're so ingrained in the process of making the show. Yeah. But as an audience where we feed off this content, where we enjoy the hyper-violence that you alluded to, was, what does that say when an episode like this is the highest-rated programming in all of America – it beat the NFL for Christ's sakes. Like the football is like Again, a staple of The Walking Dead has has been is the most watched scripted television show of all time. Yes, it's 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 amazing. Mm-hmm. And you said you you discussed some nihilism, and I I have been engaging in some nihilist content more and more the mm-hmm. past like few months, and it's really starting to affect me <laughs> on, on an emotional level. Yes, and. Like the whole idea of nihilism, and and yes, you could reference the Big Lebowski to make a joke out of it, but mm-hmm. the, it basically comes down to what's the point? Mm-hmm. And it's not a what's the point, like, please tell me. It's yeah. like there is no point to anything, mm-hmm. so what's the point? And even then, in a more sophisticated nihilist story, they ask what's the point, but it's to get you to think of something, it's to get you to think of the point. Yes. I don't think of anything when I saw that premiere at TC. Um, Aside from like the very shoddy Bush League amateur filmmaking tactics and techniques that they use, like dream sequences and uh, flashbacks and like poorly put together montages, like that's not filmmaking, first of all. And secondly, the choice that they made to kill Abraham first and then pull the rug under us once again with the dumpster, yeah. with. Uh, you know, Nicholas trying to shoot him, shoot Glenn in the woods with, you know, throughout the history of Glenn in that show, he's been, he's, he's, he's like a cat. He's got nine lives and he's about to die like every single season. Yeah. But it's all like cheap, exploitative rug pulls to try to get you to be like, ah, didn't see that coming, did you? Rather than, you know, if anything, if they were to kill Glenn, just do it as they did to Abraham. Like that would have been more emotionally impactful then trying to trick us Instead to thinking, of, yeah. oh, you're not. Like, like, ha ha ha! I yeah, got you. He's actually safe. That's that's so um, emotionally um, manipulating, TC, and it's not it's not genuine story. T- it's not a genuine care for the story of these characters. You're doing the character a disservice mm-hmm. by using him as a device. I'm, that's basically it. He was a device. I'm I am disappointed in Abraham. Mm-hmm. In fact, that, he was my guest from the the very finale. Yeah, I guessed. Okay, I'm I'm going to try to give them the benefit of the doubt, right? Mm-hmm. Okay, because there is a way to take this this garbage that they've presented. I'm I'm obviously upset, <laughs> and do something powerful with mm-hmm. it. And I'm I'm going to give them the benefit of the doubt because the opportunity is here. But I'm not going to give them the benefit of the doubt because I don't think they're going to do this. The mm-hmm. opportunity here is to take Maggie, Sasha, and um, Rosita. Uh, Rosita and turn them into the powerful leaders of this group. There is an opportunity with the loss of Glenn and the loss of Abraham to turn those three characters into the powerhouses that drive and motivate this group and their narrative. Mm. To empower those three women and and to use me, Sean, to curb Rick and support those three could give us a show that, that offers opportunity to those females to be... So much more powerful of characters. Yeah, that's that's the opportunity they've given themselves. Mm-hmm. 
I do not think they're going to do that. <laughs> but can you see where where we could go with it if we were in charge? Yes. That if you could take Maggie's mo- dedication, that you could take Rosita and Sasha's motivation and turn them into the powers. Mm-hmm. Uh, how far in the comics did you get? I got to once they. This is spoilers. Wait, I don't. Actually, I don't want to spoil it for you either because I don't know how far you okay, got. Okay, I, I got to issue 100. Okay, I got and, past that. Okay, I got to issue 100 where they did this. Yeah. <laughs> and I said, which is what I did after issue 50. <laughs> when Lori was killed, I was like, done. <laughs> I got to issue 100. And with Lori, it was awful. Mm-hmm. And it made me want to stop reading the comic because it was so hopeless. But it did, in a way, narratively make sense. Mm-hmm. And that's what made it even all the more upsetting. With issue 100, it's like Kirkman went, oh, shoot, it's issue 100. I have to do something. Yes. So I'm going to do this. Which which brings up a really good discussion point. How faithful should you be to a adaptation if the original source material was, say, flawed to begin with? Because doing Glenn Dirty in that manner in the comic obviously upset a lot of people. But I think it upset us specifically because... It was senseless. Mm-hmm. It was literally random. And, you know, this character, even in the comic, Glenn was super underdeveloped. He was more developed in the show. Yes. Yeah. And I think that's why people are more upset because he's become this beloved staple of the show and he has a bigger purpose than just being the Aaron boy. Yeah. Yeah. And so. Well, he's been there since episode two. Yes. Yes. And. And, and to, to go seven seasons with a character, especially in a situation like this, is lucky. Yeah, <laughs> we're 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 lucky we got Glenn as long as we did. Mm-hmm. Um, but why, why the fake out? What? It's so insulting. That that's the one the one thing that I can't get over. Mm-hmm. The I mean, Glenn has a lot of close calls in the past season, but the last season there was like five, <laughs> and and to do that and then. Like, we were just talking uh, last season about how, like, when the, the cliffhanger happened, they're like, there's no way they're going to end it on a cliffhanger and then just and to just, do that to Glenn again. It. And they they're did, just like, yeah. it was it was not only insulting, but it was just hopeless. It, it gave me no reason to want to continue watching. But then I always come back to this. I come back to this all the time on the cast. Are we asking too much? Who Who are we? Like, may, we're, this is what people want. Why, yeah. We're just being sn- snobs. We're being, <laughs> we're being movie snobs. We're yeah. asking too much. Uh, maybe this is what the show was always was and was always meant to be. Mm. Frank Darabont did nine episodes. <laughs> and, then, <laughs> and then the the sum total of his influence echoed for maybe another five after that. Yeah. And then it was just off to the races by AMC after mm. that. It does feel like... Ever since he left, it was so by the committee that you can see all the beats becoming more sensationalist mm-hmm. than grounded. Because that first season, do you remember how like real that felt? That felt like our world, but with zombies in it. Yeah. Now yeah. it just feels like fantasy. It straight feels like a fantasy. I'll, I'll say this. Yes. Because you did inspire me to bring up this point. Because mm-hmm. we talked a little bit about this about Game of Thrones when Sansa captured... Uh, what's his name again? The Ramsey. Ramsey. Yeah, and tortured him and took pleasure in it. And here's this character who was very um, good-willed, good-natured, and she was willed to a very dark place. Yeah, he he took a piece of her her humanity. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and the thing is, like, 
that never happened in the book or the source material, and I felt like she was used as a device for nefarious reasons mm-hmm. rather than an organic motivational reason for that character. And so that brings up a problematic thing about Walking Dead because now we want Negan to die, right? Yeah. After he did that to our boy Glenn. He needs to get his comeuppance. But eye for an eye, I don't agree with it. Especially you know? if Carl does it, then he's blind. <laughs> I don't know. Am, am I being on too high of a moral high horse for saying, like, it, this is a show that promotes an eye for an eye? Like, this, like, Rick killing him or someone killing him would would be the comeuppance that we desire. Ma- Maggie yeah. killing him would be the, the true comeuppance. That would be actually fabulous. Yeah. But <laughs> is that something we really want? Violence just to solve violence. And I don't know if that's a good story, you know? There's well, got to be something well, more. It, particularly because when it is eye for an eye, and yeah. you talk about Sansa, like what does that say about her as a character? She she is crossed into a, a new existence that she can that she may never be able to come back from. I my my nitpicks of it, my my disappointment in it, my 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 critique of it is that what is your end game? Mm-hmm. You said it well in that Game of Thrones now knows exactly where it's going. It knows exactly how many episodes it has left. So therefore, it spent the, all of last season, which I think was structurally the best season of the show. I would agree. Setting up what is going to be the last run of the show. Uh, and and it feels complete. It feels in, intelligent and motivated mm-hmm. and everything has a purpose. And in Walking Dead... They are shuffling around like the very walkers they're chasing, <laughs> and it doesn't feel motivated. Yeah. Now, granted, we've seen one episode of this season, mm. but I do feel like it's still echoing what the entirety of the last season was. Yeah. Which followed several fake outs of the reveal of Negan mm. in it, and it and it took a lot of the great characters, Carol, mm-hmm. <laughs> and whittled them away to a a different place. They all. They all became one note. Yeah. I, Rick was one of the strongest figureheads of that show, and now it's just crazy Rick. It's crazy Rick or it's sad Rick. We can't really get a full spectrum of him as a character. And I, like, like I was mentioning earlier, the same showrunner, same writers, it's going to be the same trajectory as they're going. If you're disappointed in the last season, there's no way it's going to get better, TC. Like I see the quality already. Before episode, before season seven began, the yeah. day before they began, they were green light for season eight. Oh my god, I remember reading that. Yeah, yeah. So they've already been in the midst of season seven, mm-hmm. which means now they have a season eight added onto it. Too late for them to calibrate for a season eight. Yeah, they are just going to tell what they're going to tell for seven. Mm-hmm. Maybe they were anticipating getting eight. Maybe I don't know, but. I, I worry that this is just going to be a figured out as you go type of storytelling, which has hurt a lot of great things. Like, Choose your adventure, like Lost. Uh, as much as I love Lost, I will I can admit that they did have some aspects of make it up as you go along. Mm-hmm. Battlestar Galactica, they actually wore that on their sleeve that they didn't create a show bible. Oh my god! That gosh. they said that they, that they allowed the writers to explore the next episode based on what had come before every week. Mm-hmm. They got in the writers' room and said. And then, <laughs> which worked in its favor, but also didn't. Yeah. And, and that figured out as you go, especially when we live in this renaissance of of television hmm. storytelling, of Mad Men and Breaking Bad and The Wire and these much uh, Hannibal coming from something that's adapted. 
to know where you're going allows for much more complex and more thoughtful and and evoking emotionally evoke, evocative storytelling. Yes. And I don't know if Walking Dead has that. I I yeah. feel like it doesn't. It hasn't at least for me personally it hasn't done that for me for seasons. Yeah. Plural and um I know folks will disagree with me but Every time that argument is made that this is the point of the show, I just don't see it, TC. Mm-hmm. I don't see how that purpose equates to good storytelling. Like, Glenn, I feel I, – I don't feel like I'm being biased here, but you can call me out on it if you think so. But he's ripe for more expansive character work. Like he, th- there's literally more things he could be doing. You you are not yeah. biased, mm-hmm. and 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 I will I will side with you on that because from a character st- structurally with the character, okay, he is developing. He is going to be a father mm-hmm. to a baby in the apocalypse. Yes, just like Rick, mm-hmm. and they can become juxtaposed counterpoints to each other. Yes, to see how two fathers exist side by side in Mm. the same scenarios and how they achieve what they want. Yes. Right. Because then they become counterpoints to each other in conversation, in choices, Mm. in the dark path that Rick goes, he can find his light in Glenn in the dark places. Glenn might want to go. He can see the warnings in Rick. Mm. If you were to explore those two characters together that he was ripe for more to make him a father much like Rick is a father to Judith, not mm-hmm. to Carl, because Carl is so separate from. Carl is the is the exception mm-hmm. because he's growing up in this world and yeah. experienced the previous one. Beth was the other one, mm-hmm. um, but Rick and Glenn, Glenn having a child, and Rick having Judith, could have been some very fascinating character studies. Yes, and and also what I really appreciate appreciated his character being such a constant in that show is that he served as the moral compass. Mm-hmm. He was always the one saying, Hey guys, ain't this wrong? Mm-hmm. You know, and, and doing so in such an earnest, honest way that doesn't come off as, Oh, here comes preachy Glenn. No, it, <laughs> it, he says things that we agree with as normal civilized human beings. Like, yes, we shouldn't do that. That's actually messed up. <laughs> and he, he actually doesn't take a human life until last season. When they were forced to evade the bunker yeah. to try to pre-stop Negan mm-hmm. um, by killing those people in the bunker that they'd never met, and those that was, and to echo back our conversation about how actors really making the most out of their limited material, Glenn, they're not really writing for him, but he's making the most of what is given to him. The reaction that he gives when he takes his first life was heart. Shattering. Yeah. You see him not wanting to do it up to the point where he led that knife into the temple of that lifeless body. Mm -hmm. And it was horrific to watch. It was great, great acting on his Mm -hmm. part. It was great uh, directing from whoever directed that episode as well. Yeah. And I, I, I'm come, I've come to think more of, because I wrote in my essay that I'm appreciative that this came from Robert Kirkman, that he created this character so we can give agency to Asian American actors. Mm -hmm. But, I feel like a lot of credit needs to be given to Steve Yeun and how he grew with the show. I feel like I grew with him because mm-hmm. he started off as very like this kind of this goofy piece of delivery kid, and then he became like you said, a loving husband, a fearless leader, and an everyman, you yeah. know, and a, a true every everyman. And what really breaks my heart, even though I, I know he has to get work, he has to get work. He's just so good, but. Mm-hmm. 
he he had an interview in 2014 um talking about the fears of being killed off being killed off the show because he was having such a hard time finding work outside of Walking Dead even though he was on the number one rated show on television and it was I was just so dumbfounded. Like how could like, he not be getting work? Yeah, yeah. and I don't know. This there's certain <laughs> that's that's a whole nother conversation, but that's just another thing that kind of worries me a little bit. Just being such a huge Steven Yun fan, then you'll just have to write him something. <laughs> oh my god! Uh, just tweet out, hey, "I got a feature for you." The, the, of the memes that have come out since, there's one in particular that I, I did actually quite a bit enjoy, mm. and uh, and maybe you've seen this one, but it's it's uh, a comic strip. And it's Negan saying, "I'm sorry, Rick, but you know how it goes. And I'm gonna have to take one of your, kill one of your people. Mm. Uh, I'm gonna do it this way. Eeny, meeny, my. And it's it's all the characters lined up, the backbone, blah blah blah. And you are, boom. And it's Mr. Poopy Butthole. <laughs> oh no. And he, says, he says, "Owie." And then it cuts to Rick <laughs> saying, "I'm gonna kill you, Negan." <laughs> <laughs> Not Mr. Poopy Butthole. Yeah, so Rick, Rick and Morty, Rick. <laughs> 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 so uh, Candace is in the room now. Yes. Um, Hello, Candace. Candace. Would you like to discuss anything with with Walking Dead? I, I'm gonna. Yeah, I'm trying to hand you the mic. <laughs> yeah, I, I see that. Oh, you mean pertaining to the trauma that I acquired from watching the horrible horrible events that laid out? Gonna need months of therapy. Yeah. Uh, uh, so we have a, a calendar that Candace just kind of like j- jots down things from the day. And on Sunday, it says, traumatized by The Walking Dead. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. That's what happened. <laughs> uh, so watching it, what was your initial reaction? Um, th- to which part? The whole thing? I was horrified. <laughs> <laughs> well, before we get to, obviously, the big thing, like, yeah. did you appreciate the way the show was structured and how it was kind of going in and out of, like, not really giving us an answer of who's going to happen to, but really kind of like jerking us around. 20 minute mark. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, I am aware of your feelings toward the show and how it's been uh, progressing. and But I, I tend to be a little more optimistic yeah. I like to give it to the, the benefit of the doubt. And considering the character that they've introduced that is Negan and how sadistic he is and how he likes to play with people, I saw the way they laid out the show as uh, very indicative of who he is. Mm-hmm. Like He was very much the feature. He was the main point of attention for the yeah. show. And so the way they carried it out, I thought, let us know what it was like to be in his head. Mm. Just all the games, all the playing around. Yes, it was intense, and it was stressful. And uh, I, oh, my, my heart weight rate was surely uh, <laughs> <laughs> enhanced during uh, the watching but um i i don't know i i feel like i i give it more credit mm. than than a lot of people do i'm sorry it's all right it's all right <laughs> it's i mean it's all about our points of view yeah. how we look at things how we read into them and i read into it differently than you do i mean you having been active and very supportive of Asian Americans, and you you look at that, and it means something differently to you than it does to me. And it's not bad; it's not wrong; it's just different. How do you feel about Jeffrey Dean Morgan? <sighs> I I don't personally know him. Hmm. You know he uh, he plays a very very um, 
I, I hate him. <laughs> as, as he's Negan. doing his job. Yeah, I hate him as Negan. Yeah. And in that respect, he's doing a very good job. Mm. <laughs> Danny Duquette from Grey's Anatomy. <laughs> yeah. There was a ghost. <laughs> uh, there was a great Twitter meme that showed a picture of Negan and showed a picture of his character yeah. and said, when that uh, one person ruins two shows you love. <laughs> <laughs> That's I, I true. I don't know what play, part he played in Grey's Anatomy, but apparently... He uh, played a ghost boyfriend. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, getting to the main event, though, um, you're, you're, you're a Glenn fan, as, yeah. as we all are. Um, how, how do you feel to have lost him? And not only that manner, but like having not him be that constant presence anymore. Um. I read, I read, um, I read articles talking about yours. So what? I, gotta, I, gotta, I got cited? Yeah, yeah. Well, Holy crap. Yeah, you've been, you've been retweeted and I've, people I've have, made it. Yeah. People <laughs> have talked about your article. Great job. <laughs> um, and I agree. He was just, he was this beacon of hope and mm. integrity and his strength really did add an element to the show that helped inspire and having taken that from us. I think is a big contribution to who Negan is and what he represents. I mean, he has Evil. <laughs> he's stolen hope from us, mm. from us, from the team that that Rick has been leading for so long and that Glenn has been leading for so long. And um, that is why I'm still interested in watching the show is because I want to see how they pull themselves out of this because he has become this mountain that has erupted in front of them in their path hmm. and uh i i was floored when they did what they did to to glenn and um i i certainly had trouble sleeping that night his i didn't sleep yeah his, his yeah. death it, it kept replaying in my mind especially his last words you know, yeah. i'll, I'll oh find you God. maggie what how'd you that was How a, you or TC interpret that? That was what does it mean? That was a fine representation of who he was, because mm-hmm. and his dying his dying thoughts were of were of Maggie. Yeah, I mean, he was pushing himself to survive for her. She became a, a big part of his reason to live, mm-hmm. and in uh, his dying breaths, turning to her and trying to give her whatever semblance of hope he could hmm. in those last moments it, it meant a lot yeah it, it was very impactful <laughs> <laughs> i know <laughs> it was, uh, it, it's i've been trying not to think about it anymore but people keep asking me about it so that's where the essay kind of came from yeah. and so i wanted to really focus on the man and how he lived then rather than how he died because yeah. like I think we're we're all still very in shock about mm-hmm. what happened. I'm still like every time I think about it, I'm just like, oh my gosh, yeah. turn the channel, <laughs> turn I, I, the channel. I feel like this was a real life event that I I was witness. Yes, and that's that's how it's affected me. Mm-hmm. It's not something I saw on TV. It's something I experienced yeah. with someone I know. And that's yeah, absolutely. And I think that's what uh, TC and I were just discussing. Like the best art reflects, you know your life and the people around you. And I'm not going to give the credit to that necessarily to the show, but to the character work that Steve Yun put in so much to give me this predisposed dis- uh, love for him, uh, having him taken away like that. Like I think he represented everything 
that we should strive for. Like, I, I wrote something along the lines of, I can't even, I don't know, I don't remember how to quote myself. That's how bad <laughs> That's it is. Right. <laughs> I have the same problem. But like, I learned from Glenn that you can always find a way, a way to be better and a way to do better. You know, and, and that's something that I'm going to sorely miss from the show. That's why I don't know if I have the heart to watch anymore because it's it's tough navigating this world without having a moral compass. And I'm I'm trying to find a purpose in it. And I love in the comic that Maggie becomes this fierce leader. I think that's really awesome. And TC was alluding to the potential of that happening in the yeah. show. So I think that's the only beacon of hope that we have left. But other than that, I kind of hate everyone <laughs> that's, that's all i got yeah speechlessness that yeah. is also a good representation of how this loss has affected us I, just, how do you talk about someone dying in yeah such a horrific manner and, and and yes because they were such an impactful person mm. and to have it, them taken from us so abruptly and so viciously like it was that was obviously done practical um but it just felt way too real that that felt like i was watching something i should not be watching it was snuff film material and like i guess that's credit to nicotero and gibble and company because that was incredible makeup work i was watching someone behind the scenes like whoa that is i do not want to look at that anymore that is disgusting i can't i can't watch that episode (laughs) no i I know i can't that's one that's an episode that I yeah. cannot go back to because it's not another yeah. another element that that show um, brought out of me was I was so angry the whole time like mm. the the fury that I imagine they were all feeling sitting there helpless I I felt that yeah throughout the entire episode because I felt helpless I, it's happening before me I can't do anything to mm. stop it I can't affect I can't change it. I can only sit back. Yeah. And that, like, I was in the position that everyone sitting on their knees was in. Mm. I was just helpless there with no way of making the situation better, Mm. giving it a better outcome. It just really hurt because, like, confession time, I actually found out before the episode. Um, It was an accidental stumble, one of those internet rabbit holes. (laughs) And, like, I read an article that, Apparently, they found a leaked script, and they, they were like, allegedly, this is what happened. So it was allegedly. So I didn't I, – I did not want to believe it. Uh-huh. But once the beat started playing out in the show, and it was Abraham and then Daryl punching Negan, I was like, no, no, no. I was hyperventilating. <laughs> I was like, this cannot be. And it was – it's an interesting exploration – or interesting, like, phases that I was going through throughout the entire episode of just, like, anger and denial and then – reluctant acceptance yeah basically (laughs) i felt all the stages of grief in one episode it's it's like you went through the head of every character that was there Mm. until you finally got to rick when he had to submit yeah pretty much (laughs) (laughs) but uh i I will say there there was one moment in particular that where first of all i did not once that bat hit glenn's head i looked away i didn't look back at the screen until he was gone did you see the makeup effect? Yeah. Okay. I, I did eventually go back and look at it, but while the episode played out, I did not watch it. It was, I will, I thought I was desensitized to violence since we, yeah. <laughs> since we both, <laughs> I mean, we both enjoy violence in, in a certain capacity, but once I just felt like 
it, I guess this is the best way to describe it, but childish mm-hmm. when it came to that moment because it was it was so gut wrenching. TC, it was yeah. like lit- it was literally like it's, it was happening in front of us. So you did not want to see something like that. Yeah, yeah. But uh, there, there was one moment in particular in the court. The, probably the best moment in the episode, in my opinion, mm. was first of all, it was. Absolutely ridiculous when he was like cut off Carl's arm. Yeah, that whole cutting off his arm thing. It's like uh, it's really show. <laughs> we've, we've already come this far. You're going to keep hammering us over the head with this. We get it. One hundred TC. But I think the the best moment in the show for me is when Carl just looked at it, Rick and went, "Just do it, Dad." Because that of all the character moments in the entire episode, <laughs> yeah, Carl is such a badass. Mm-hmm. He lost his eye. He had to kill his own mother. Yeah. He has he has watched the the fate of the world change all around him as he's going through the most difficult years of his life as an adolescent into teenage and mm. adult young adulthood. And he's just he's just do it. Like yeah. I I don't know how to feel about that, and and it could definitely go into some deeper analyses, but. That moment was such a strong character moment of of Carl, and leads to my my ending of the series. Yeah, of Carl and Judith mm. fighting the fight for the rest of their lives. Yeah, but as as the most capable, the most uh, developed um, human beings left on the planet, just in the terms of The Walking Dead. So I, I really, even though it was just a single moment, surrounded by awful moments. That moment of Carl just looking sick. And, like, Rick's a mess. Carl did not cry. He did not lose his shit. Yeah. (laughs) And he just, he knows this world better than anyone because this is the world he's grown up in. Hmm. Or if you look at uh, the how younger millennials cannot appreciate the technology that the 25, uh, maybe 30 to 35-year-olds can hmm. because those around that 30 year old mark grew up with the technology and we, yeah. we appreciate and experience it differently and carl reflects that in that this look yeah dad this is this is awful what else do you expect this is the world now whereas yeah. all the adults in that show remember how things used to be and we're we're negan is, is saying you did you think you were just going to sit around the table and and have dinner and live happily ever after? That's not how it works anymore. Yeah, and his very nihilistic, awful mentality, vision of the world, laughing through the the he's making the comedian look like a good guy, <laughs> um, but 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 laughing at the very face of the world. Yeah, is juxtaposed by Carl, who can accept the existence of the world now, but not be destroyed by it and i i i appreciate that kid i know you kind of think he's a terrible actor but (laughs) (laughs) Um, it it goes to my favorite episodes of the entire series are the three episodes in a row where it's carl and michonne's episode Mm -hmm. carol and tyrese and beth and daryl those three episodes in season uh, five Mm -hmm. are the single best episodes of the entire series Mm -hmm. Save the pilot. <laughs> yeah. Um, because it explored these characters as they exist in the world versus how the world existed before. Mm-hmm. So uh, that, that's the one moment in the entire episode where I was like thinking back on it. I was like, that was seemingly a very good moment. Yeah, that was – I agree. That was the best moment. It was the be- it was the most moving moment because 
it was encompassing of I think how we felt since this kind of the entire episode was like drag ass man it was like <laughs> it could have been 20 minutes instead of 40 yeah but then up to that point it's just like just do it just cut the just arm do- we've we've come too far <laughs> I, thought, I thought rick was gonna cut off his own arm like I yeah he would just lift the hatchet and then come down on his own <laughs> so, um and then carl getting beaten by the bat and uh, then uh, and then game over <laughs> and then it's just uh the rest of the season is just Episodes of zombies walking around <laughs> and, no, and nobody killing. It's just pasture. <laughs> pick, I did not end the episode yet. So <laughs> pick it up wherever you like. More stuff. This is going to be like Lord of the Rings, Return of the King. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I, I think we should talk about some positives because I think. I did. I said uh, the Carl moment. <laughs> <laughs> I think overall we both hated it. <laughs> um, I was just mad. What Will you be returning to the show? I'm not. Week by week, yeah. When it's over, I will. I will probably watch it. I I might even go so far as to wait till it ends up on Netflix. Okay, um, but I'm not. I'm in no hurry to continue to watch this series. Yeah. There's there's other shows that I'm watching right now that are holding my attention, even mm. at their bleakest. Yeah, with with more joy. Mm. And and as as I said, I've been watching stuff that is is devolving into nihilism, such as such as Rick and Morty, mm. and. It's it is affecting me, and to continue to watch a show like this, which is so hopeless, it serves me serves me no purpose as a human being. Yeah, um, maybe. I, I, you are you done done, or will you eventually go back to it? I think this is it for me. Yeah. This is where the train stops. <laughs> you can just read read about it. I mean, I didn't stop after issue one hundred in the comics, and. I don't know if I was personally satisfied with the Negan arc that they're if they're going to be faithful to the adaptation or whatever. But all that aside, I just feel up to this point the last season or two has been just a huge you know, it's just been jerking me around. Like I I don't feel I don't feel like I'm in not necessarily in control of the narrative cuz mm-hmm. obviously I'm just a passive bystander. Yeah. But I don't. I'm not getting any satisfaction from it narratively. Mm. Um, and in the golden age of television, we have such quality, diverse programming that I don't feel the need. I, I felt like I've been watching it for the last couple of seasons because of an obligation. Uh, yeah. Because <laughs> I, I have to do that. <laughs> because I've been watching it for so long. But other than that, I, I think this is kind of all right. This is it. And mm. I, I was jokingly saying last season to you, like, if they do Glenn, I'm done. Yeah. But I think. Uh, I'm I've accepted it. I'm not doing it out of anger, out of spite, out of pettiness. It's mostly I think I've gotten enough what I need from this show. Yeah. You it's know. it's a bad relationship and yeah. I'm no longer invested in it. You're a bad friend, Walking Dead. <laughs> You're a terrible friend. Well, you you did say you had a, another discussion point. I just want to point out the time to you that uh, Oh, yes. Um but do you have a favorite Glenn moment by any chance? Just to tribute the man we've come to know and love. Just his introduction into the series when mm. Rick is in that tank and hey dumbass yeah <laughs> that's, that's such a fun introduction to the character and and his his early season stuff of being the guy to go out and to be the one to navigate the city and to kind of know the ins and outs of of Atlanta. Um, I, I I really liked those that mo- that first moment of him introducing him. Uh, I liked his. Um, when him and Maggie are in the guard tower mm. and they, uh, you know, 
they're, they're doing their maritals <laughs> and they get interrupted and they're like, uh, uh, <laughs> doing the marital. Uh, I just, uh, be right, be right down. Like that, that sweet exploration of a, of a honeymoon phase mm-hmm. in the midst of the zombie apocalypse, I thought was, was handled really cute. It was really nicely handled. And, and you know what? I think that was the only time I've seen Rick smile. <laughs> like one of the few times to kid to catch them. Yeah. And be like, all right, you guys, yeah. you kids, yeah. you young lovers. Uh, but the the best Glenn moment is when he killed a zombie tied to a chair. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> like there there is no more badass of a moment. And even he knew how badass it was because after he did, he just did the the, the Wolverine scream, like, <laughs> all but saying, "Yeah, bitch." <laughs> <laughs> and that was improvised. That was just something he felt in the moment. Like, yeah, it was not in the script. It was not a direction. He was just like. You know what? In in this in the heat of things, I yeah. feel like Glenn would just roar, roar, and <laughs> that, that's the best Glenn moment for me. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, and I totally agree. That's my Glenn moment because, yeah. um, as I was alluding to, growing up, I already do not see a lot of faces of stories that were relating to mine, and seeing Glenn just as a superficial Asian face was enough to bring me joy. Mm-hmm. But then seeing that image of just him you know, bloodied and battered and victorious in a way, it was the most, and I don't want to say this in like a, he, like, um, what's that word? It's not misogynistic, but it's like. Hedonistic. Is it hedonistic? I don't know what you're going to say, so I don't know <laughs> if that's the word you're looking for. <laughs> Is it chauvinistic? I don't know. It's just like pro-male or whatever, but just him in that state, that primal grimy grizzly mm-hmm. masculine state it was the most powerful image of an asian american male that i've ever seen because up to that point my examples were mr it was mickey rooney from Bre- breakfast at tiffany's oh come on that was and, not your example <laughs> and and freaking lung duck dong from 16 candles no man. no like, I, the- <laughs> I i i get your point but i i will reiterate your point by saying or ask you yeah. was your most masculine powerful male figures of asian mm. men martial artists yes okay. yeah, that's that's also the thing i mean obviously the issue is complex and when you get to intersectionality of it like yeah. obviously bruce lee's my hero he's right. the most masculine he defines masculinity right and there's nothing wrong yeah. with bruce lee but, but i can't relate to him because yeah. i'm not I'm not an incredible martial artist and a genius level philosopher. Like yeah. Steven, Steven is me. I've, I've gotten so many comparisons to him, not because we look like each other, cause that's racist, <laughs> <laughs> but it's just, we're both so like <laughs> just nonchalant about things. He, mm-hmm. he really does remind me of someone I know, whether it's me or whether it's my brother or my cousins or my friends. That's why it hurts so much to see him taking in that vicious manner. Because seeing that image in like 2013 or whatever that season came out, yeah, it lit a fire inside me. Something that I haven't felt in a long time. Because like you watch something like a superhero movie, you get riled up and you act like a kid again. And you want to shoot spider webs because yeah. like ah, this is so cool, pew pew. But this inspired me to want to create like. I want more of this. I want to keep generating this feeling because it feels so good because mm-hmm. I haven't felt it in so long. And I want someone like me growing up to feel the same way. And I think that's why he's such a pioneer and that's why he's so beloved in our community. And that's what inspired the essay. And you can catch it on NBC Asia America's Cheap Plug. Cheap Plug. Cheap Plug. Plug. <laughs> where, where can people read your essay, Ben? 
Uh, you can read it on uh, NBCNews.com or NBC Asian America. They both shared it on all all social media platforms. Um, it's the most. Uh, it's been shared a lot. Yeah, I uh, think it's up to like two thousand likes and two thousand shares. That's amazing. That is and absolutely incredible. It's just been a hell of a twenty four hours, man. <laughs> I've been like this last week. I've been kind of down on myself creatively because I'm not. I've been kicking myself. I'm not creating enough, but like mm-hmm. kind of look back and taking for granted all these opportunities that my friends at NBC Asian American continue to throw at me because um, as much as I want to create film and not just talk about it, but taking a seat back and seeing what they're doing with Moana and seeing what Steven Yun has done with Glenn Ree, it's really inspiring to see that there are avenues for our voices mm-hmm. to be expressed to the fullest extent and across the entire human spectrum. So like, it, it just really is inspiring, as cheesy and as cliche as that is. I'm just nothing I'm, wrong with that. I'm I'm extremely motivated by like, however, like it's it's weird because I feel like more people are upset with Glenn's death than I am right at this point. Yeah, because I've had a lot of time to process. You've it. accepted it. I've accepted it. <laughs> all but the I'm, stages of grief. <laughs> all the stages of grief. But just looking back, um, his seven seasons has brought me a lot of joy, and so I'm I'm thankful for that. Um, yeah, I am as well, and and. We'll see where the, what the future holds for him. Yeah, which I'm more interested in than the future of the show without him. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> I, I do. I don't want to keep dragging this, but this this one thing has bothered me because I I took a chance writing this essay because I knew it was only 48 hours since Sunday. Yeah, and people were going to call me out for spoilers, mm-hmm. which they did. And I I don't. I'm not necessarily upset at the individuals for doing so. I'm. I am feeling, though, I am annoyed at spoiler culture more so than <laughs> spoilers themselves. I don't know. I don't know if we agree, but like, I did. I was reading something about people doing psychological tests, saying that people still enjoy things even though they know how it ends. Like, it's about the journey, not the story. Blah blah blah. But I want to get your two cents on this. Are you annoyed more so by said spoiler or people who who cry spoiler alert all the time? Oh, okay. So. Yeah. So let me ask: Are you asking, like, pe- people who are spoilers mm. versus people who get mad at spoilers? Not not necessarily people who spoil, because yeah. obviously they're assholes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they're the lowest common denominator. But yeah. are you mad at spoilers, just like seeing something or reading something or hearing about it, or are you more not more mad but annoyed at people who always cry spoiler alert? You know, because I mean, we're already so interconnected. And we're so addicted to social media. I, I am too. You know, I'm on there all the time. But yeah. like, how it's more and more so to harder to avoid, especially Walking Dead, which we all galvanize and sit together tribally and communally on Sundays to watch. So like, it's can you really fault a person for saying something about it? Forty eight hours is what I, I'm saying. I, I feel like people who are very deliberate about spoiling things, mm-hmm. they are they are assholes. Yeah, and the people who go out of their way. To who who have a don't give a shit attitude like who gives a shit the show's not even good anyway so whatever <laughs> yeah. go and die boom yeah I saved you the trouble mm. like that's not your responsibility nor your uh, no one's asking you to be that that person mm. to be like oh thank you thank you for saving me the trouble <laughs> there's there's a respect level mm. and I feel like the internet is ripe with disrespect mm. and spoiler culture is part of that disrespect respect the fact that people wait to watch this on Netflix respect the fact that there are people who haven't who who DVR or 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 watch the show later in the evening mm-hmm. to just 
blatantly and openly come out and spoil something is just rude. Hmm. And I don't understand the thrill of it. I don't understand the thrill of someone getting in a van with a sign that says Dumbledore is killed by Snape on page 237 and going past a Barnes & Noble where there's 300 people lined up to buy a book mm-hmm. and doing that. Yeah. Like, that's not a prank. Mm-hmm. That is just cruelty. Yeah. And I have no love for those type of people. Mm. There are There is other ways to have a discussion about something without spoiling and then there's this people, okay, well, fine. Get, tell me how long I should wait. How long should I wait? Hmm? Is it okay to tell people that Darth Vader and Luke Skywalker are related? To <laughs> like, that's just being sarcastic. Yeah. Okay. When Breaking Bad ended, I thought there was a change hmm. because I feel like the culture as a whole decided, hey, you need to watch this. Hmm. I'm not going to spoil it for you. We all agree not to do that. Yeah, and I feel like at least in my on my Facebook and Twitter thread, nobody spoiled Breaking Bad when it ended, which is e- shocking. Everyone was just <laughs> like, "Watch this show." Yeah, but that didn't change anything. It was like an exception, not the rule. So I don't know if that answers your question. <laughs> but I, I I don't get it. I don't get why people get a thrill out of it, and I don't get. I I'm even. I guess I am more annoyed by people who get who have a backlash when someone says something. And then, and then someone else says, ah, oh, spoiler, man. And then that first person's like, well, fuck you, then. <laughs> you should have – don't even bother watching. It's like, hey, that's not your place. It's all reactionary. Yeah. Let let people enjoy it how they want to enjoy it. Mm. Like, just have some freaking respect. <laughs> <laughs> I get annoyed by spoilers. I, when, when certain things are said about a show I'm watching while mm. I'm watching it, and I'm like, oh, I wish I hadn't seen that. Or to even go one step further, in trailers, there's a moment in the Logan trailer where I was like, well, that would have been nice to see happen on screen. To go back to the Batman versus Superman trailer, which was the entire freaking movie, <laughs> it would have been great to know that Doomsday is going to show up yeah. and not see him show up. Mm. It would have been lovely to see that Wonder Woman comes to save the day in the movie, yeah. not in the trailer. That's <laughs> not going to get me in my seat. It's Batman Superman. That's all I needed. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> No love lost for Zack Snyder. I, and that's all. This, that's what I really wanted to talk about. <laughs> <laughs> um, but no, what, what, how about you? Where, where do you land in the spoiler world? I've, well, I mean, I'm totally in agreement with what you're saying. Like, there is a certain level of just disregard yeah. for your fellow people. You know, who, in, in a time where we enjoy art so much, I love living in this time because we are all actively engaging in art. Mm-hmm. Even if it's trash, you know, because at one time art was just reserved for the elite and now we can all access it and engage in it. And it's really cool. It's this cool communal thing to be able to say like, man, what'd you think about the walking dead last Sunday? It was nuts, right? Yeah. But like, I, I still get, there's like a, a stop. Like yeah. I have like a, a stopper in my, in my vocal cords, in my throat somewhere when I want to talk about force awakens. Yeah. Right, which is insane because it's almost a year. <laughs> right. but, but or when I want to talk about uh, Doctor Who, yeah, with people who mm-hmm. I know have seen the show. When even talking about Glenn with people who I know, there's a stopper in me that that has a moment of clench to go. Wait, how caught up are you? Yeah. Okay, good. Now let's talk about it. Yeah. And if if they, it's like, wait, have you? Oh, you haven't. Huh. I will say nothing more mm-hmm. than, please go watch it. 
and then we will discuss it after the fact. You're such a good person. Well, I, cause I, <laughs> I have been resp- – like, here, here's a spoiler I, I did to Candace that I, I felt a little bad about, but I also didn't feel terrible about. And this kind of goes into, well, how much time away? Okay, what's in the box? What's in the box? Uh, right? that, that is such a pop cultural touchstone in certain circles, film community circles yeah. in particular. It's like the crying game. C- cinephile. cinephile <laughs> and we say it all the time on the podcast. We had said it for years on the podcast. Yeah. And at some point, I said it. And I said, oh, oh, good. It's not Gwyneth Paltrow's head. Oh, no. And Candace is <laughs> like. Oh well, thanks. I've I've never seen the movie. I was like, ah, oh, but oh. It's a, we say it all the shit, <laughs> <laughs> and I felt bad. And that that's when TC started his cocaine habit. <laughs> <laughs> what? <laughs> but but then I felt a little bit of solace in that she probably never would have gotten around to watching it. Yeah, but it still didn't make me feel any less of a dick that I had spoiled yeah. it like that. I I never want to be that guy because you're a purist. You're yeah. a purist at heart. And I, I want totally people understand to experience that. it for the first time. Yeah, but, but you're right. There has been studies that say spoilers don't diminish, <laughs> but I find that hard to believe. I mean, it's not like I'm not using that study to justify going around just saying spoilers. Yeah. I'm I'm in agreement with you. I'm I'm like totally the same. I stop myself when I feel like, hang on, am I saying too much? Yeah, yeah. But I am not a fan of the whole why just like policing people. And what they need to say and not say. Because, like, I feel like we are so self-censored already. Hmm. Yes, be thoughtful and be careful what you're saying because you might hurt others. Should this just halt the conversation as a whole? Like, I want to talk about this. And you you yeah. need to know. Like, that's why we watched the episode when we watched it. Because I knew that on Facebook it would be a discussion. Yes, absolutely. If it I'm happened en- right away, too. Like, if I'm entering an arena where yeah. this is going to be a point of conversation, yeah. I need to be aware that there are going to be spoilers. That's And that's a good point, TC. And especially since, like, working in um, media for a while, for a little bit, I come to understand that we need to report on this stuff. Like... Glenn is a huge fixture in our community as a journalist and NBC at NBC Asian America. We have to report this. Yeah. And if we're going to report something called, uh, if we're going to call ourselves NBC Asian America and post an image of Steven Yun and say, we love him after that episode, everyone knows what's going to happen anyway. Yeah. So like, there's no, there's no win win, but I just feel like there needs to be a little bit more tolerance mm-hmm. when it comes to those things, because I feel like, if you haven't seen the episode and it's the hugest pop culture phenomenon going on right now in America, then stay off the internet. Just, yeah, <laughs> you're walking a minefield. Buddy. Yeah. yeah. Do not blame the messenger. Blame blame the game. Blame yeah. the, whatever it is. Just go watch the episode that, if you care so much. That's the difference. Yeah. In, in, in certain arenas, you just have to walk into it knowing that there are going to be mines on the ground. Yeah. But in people who are like blatant and deliberate about it in your face about it who go out of their way to spoil it those those are the jerks yeah <laughs> okay privy to 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 uh to, to barter mm-hmm. what you've given and what you've taken so like have you ever spoiled anything so heinous for someone oh boy you put me on the spot here. <laughs> um well i did just mention the the what's in the box but i don't know if that's like the worst i'd ever done I, I oh god I can I did it within the past six months I did do it once to someone not, not intentionally I just said something and then they were like I hadn't seen it yet. I was like ah but you, oh I remember it was um so this was like last year uh, maybe it was almost a year and a half ago but it was Ryan Fring one of the guys I work with um, filmmaking 
he was watching Breaking Bad, and he said, you know, I've uh, finally caught up on Breaking Bad. And I was like, oh, how about this this thing that happened? And yeah. he was like, oh, I, I haven't got there yet. And I was like, what? But you you just said you caught up on it. <laughs> yeah. He's like, well, I meant that I I started over. Ah. Uh, like, but you didn't say that. You said, <laughs> you said, hey, I've caught up on Breaking Bad. That implies that I felt so shit. He's like, uh, you spoiled it, but it's fine. And I was like, no, it's not fine. I'm that, I'm that guy. I am that guy. You're like, so neurotic. I, <laughs> he said he caught up. What would you say, guys? <laughs> <clears throat> that was, uh, were, were you just following him around the whole entire day and be like, Ryan, I'm Ryan, sorry. I'm sorry. It's okay, yeah, man. I, it's just a show. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, let's see. And the worst spoiler done to me. Uh, you have, Do you have an answer to the worst spoiler? Or what have you spoiled? Or what's the worst spoiler you've ever? I think I've done something worse than spoil. And it's like promising someone that you watch an episode of something with them, a, a an important episode. Yeah. And then watching it by yourself first, uh, and, then, and then try to like fake your way into saying, "Hey, I didn't watch it yet," hmm. and it was the last episode of Breaking Bad. I promised <laughs> promised Jazz that I would watch watch it with her, but she was working. She was like, "Ah, I gotta, I gotta work some extra hours on my shift," or blah blah blah. I'm just like, I can't wait anymore. <laughs> <laughs> but to be fair, not to say. I justified my actions, but she did watch Avatar: The Last Airbender, the last episode before, <laughs> without me. <laughs> which, for no I, reason, by the way, I for an I been for no I, reason, by the way. I just, I just couldn't wait, but she just did it. So, like, we're we're even, girl. We're even. <laughs> but, but uh, to to just swing it back on the uh, the second part of that question, I think the worst spoiler that was given to me. It's not the worst, but it was, it was so blatant that I was kind of shocked by how like oblivious this person was mm-hmm. because it was back to back. This was two thousand five, and the same week, Children of Men and Blood Diamond came out, two films that generated a lot of interest for me. Yeah, um, my friend was like, "Oh, is that are those the movies where Clive Owen and Leonardo DiCaprio died?" I was like, "What?" <laughs> <laughs> Why was that why, your description of the movie? Why is that your initial reaction to Blood Diamond? I, I literally did not ask him about the movie at all. I was just like, yeah. oh, this week this, it's coming out. And he was just oh, like, oh. Empire Strikes Back. Is that the one where Darth Vader is Luke Skywalker's father? <laughs> exactly. It's such idiocy. Who? Why would you respond that way? But I mean like. I figured out the worst done to me yeah. was that it was the day after the season finale of Game of Thrones with Jon <sighs> Snow, where someone spoiled it for me. Yeah, and I was like, oh. <laughs> Who, was it the the internet? Or? No, it was a, a person in front of me at the theater. Yeah, who would like blah 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 Game of Thrones, and I was like, oh, I'm I'm excited. I'm going to go home and watch it yeah. when I get done with work. <laughs> oh yeah, well you're going to be pretty shocked when this happens. And I was like, why why <laughs> why did you just say that? Why <laughs> would you just do that? Like. <laughs> I literally just told you I haven't seen it yet. Why yeah. would you do that? Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, wow, you're going to be, and you just, it's like, you, why? <laughs> you son of a bitch. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so mad. And, and I, uh, man, I felt bad too because I think I'd, I've done it to you once, but via the internet, because this was actually Walking Dead too, actually. So uh, uh, last season, mm-hmm. when one of the fake outs was, Nicholas shooting Glenn in the yeah, woods. Yeah, yeah. 
I posted a picture of Glenn punching Nicholas and then just captioning it as mood. Yeah. And I think you commented as, wait, you're not implying that something happens to Glenn, right? Because we all know how you feel about Glenn. And then you just posted Glenn in a (laughs) dire situation. So, (laughs) and I was like, ah, no. (laughs) And it was just one of those reactionary things where I was like, you know, you happen to do it in the heat of the moment because you're so yeah, emotional. Of course. But yeah. then you don't think about, like, oh, my God, the implications of, like, other people haven't seen this yet. <laughs> it, I, I did have a freak out once where someone said in just in conversation, matter of fact, some some expert of the series, matter of factly, said uh, something about Aragorn dying in Lord of the Rings. And I was like, what? Why would you do that? And I, like, flipped out on him and got yeah. mad and, like, left the room. And it took, like, all of months later for the movie to come out to find out Aragorn survives the whole of Lord of the Rings for me. Like, hey, Tom, remember when I got really mad at you? Spoiling? <laughs> oh, he's like, yeah, I thought you were kidding. I was like, yeah, I was kidding. <laughs> <laughs> that was pretty fun, right? <laughs> yeah, good, good, good times. Hilarious. <laughs> oh, boy. Um, Are we too hypersensitive to TC? <laughs> what to spoiling? Nah, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> we're we're very passionate people. We are very passionate. Damn it. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. There we go. That's The Walking Dead. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm interested to see if anyone has any thoughts about The Walking Dead, aside from the everyone who has thoughts about The Walking Dead already. <laughs> <laughs> and I and I feel like. There's no in-between. Like, every comment that I've read, every reaction that I've asked from my friends, it's either one or the other. They're, they're quitting or they're, like, okay with it. They're, yeah. like, it's brave. No, it's gone too far. <laughs> so, I mean, divisiveness is maybe something of a mark of a revolutionary show. Who knows? Yeah. Maybe I'm insane. We I'm not. We have talked <laughs> 90 minutes about it. So, yeah. clearly, it's it's effective in at the very least that way. Yes. Yeah. Uh, well, people can tweet at you. <coughs> at Benjitoes, B-E-N-J-I-T-O-E-S. And they can find you on Facebook at BandWithNoNameFilms Band and also Uh You can also find my work. I'm doing uh, multiple uh, create, content creating for NBC Asian America, our latest on uh, the Moana coverage at Walt Disney Animation, as well as my eulogy for Glenn Rhee is both <laughs> available at NBC Asian America and NBC News. And with Band With No Name, there's something being released. Here. Oh, yes. <laughs> DC, you're so good to me because I keep <laughs> forgetting to plug this. <laughs> but uh, I've been working day and night, and as well as my great editor, Ryan Gonzalez, uh, on the Immortal Iron Fist. This is something of a summer project that I took time in between my insane road trip for life stories that I was able to squeeze in a, a short film. So I'm really proud that it's co- coming out soon along with my essay, about Asian American representation and the, uh, critique of the Iron Fist for Inheritance magazines coming out in November. Uh, don't have a specific date yet, but that's coming out soon. And the short film, too, and it's it's going to be stellar. <laughs> all right. Uh, you can check out um, com for all of our short films. We have a new short film that just went up uh, for the holiday season, so give that Woo-hoo! a watch. It's a short. It's about four minutes long, so easily digestible. Uh, check out some of our other cohorts. Uh, Schulze has the movie critiques with Chris and Max. Oh, you can find that on ghosthat.net along with Jeff Bell's podcasts for um, uh, Franchise Manchise, which I believe um, Girl with Dragon Tattoo series is his current podcasting uh, conversation. Uh, check out the BitLife channel, BitLife show channel on YouTube, and you can check out the One Minute Gamer, the One Minute Rewatch, Working Title, and Bit by Block. So lots, lots of content to check out. 
Thank you, as always, for listening, everybody. We'll be back again soon. I think this might be our last podcast before the election, so please go out and vote, and don't vote for Trump. (laughs) (laughs) Is that an endorsement, TC? It's an endorsement of not voting for Trump. (laughs) Just for the love of God. The best slogan, besides D's nuts, of the entire (laughs) election campaign has been IDK, but not Trump. (laughs) (laughs) Is that a little too uh, too a little on the nose politically? <laughs> I don't care. <laughs> Please don't vote uh, for Donald Trump. Yes, or, or else you're not our friends anymore. And at this point, if you're still listening to the series and you are voting for Trump, I'm surprised you made it into this episode. <laughs> yes, you must really but just love hurting yourselves because <laughs> we are vehemently not of that uh, belief. <laughs> Anyhow, uh, for all you out there being creative, for all they're out there uh, – you know, making things and being using your imagination and your love and your passion to create. Don't stop. Don't ever stop. Be inspired and be inspiring. I am TC DeWitt for Ben. For all the rewatchmen, thank you for Candace for being on the episode as well. And we'll see you next time. And hey, keep going. Yeah, well, Yeah.